This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Industry leading, difference making, tomorrow shaping, world changing. These are a few of the adjectives people use to describe the technologies and companies Deloitte works with day in and day out. Join us and soon those very same adjectives could describe your career too. Explore technology careers at Deloitte.com slash tech careers and make an impact on business, technology, and society while engineering your future. At Deloitte. You're listening to the West MY podcast with Dave and X. Oi, oi! Good evening and welcome to the West Way podcast with myself Dave Walker and serial YTK blogger XWHU employee. This week we're going to be giving you our most underrated Premier League West Ham 11 consisting of unsung heroes, workhorses and those who simply just didn't get the credit they deserve. X will be giving us exclusive news and views before ending the show with questions from our collective followers on social media. That's all coming up on tonight's show. West Ham have had some great players over the years. We've also had some terrible players. But what about those players who, for whatever reason, sit somewhere between the two? In recent weeks, we've given you our worst starting eleven and our top 10 most hated. This week, we're going to go with a more positive topic and build our most underrated starting eleven from the Premier League era. X, before we start, what are the guidelines here, mate? Right, so they've got to be players from the Premier League era. So we're talking 1992 um, to the present day. They've got to be players that were underrated predominantly by the fans. So players that perhaps did a really good job for us and are no longer talked about in the same breath that perhaps they should be. Players maybe at the time that were good, but no one really kind of appreciated what they did for us. Um, And so there was one bit where I was like torn between a couple of players and I was looking at them and I was thinking, I can't decide which one. And then I thought, well, one of them won Hammer of the Year. And so then that made me think, well, he can't have been that underappreciated at the time Mm. because he won Hammer of the Year. And it's also not who's the better player it's who was the most underappreciated so for example if you was to say you could maybe argue that you could argue that i guess 
Mascarano was underappreciated for the sort of player he was at the time. Um, but then when he was actually at West Ham, he wasn't that great. He, yes, he probably was a better player than someone like Peter Butler, but he wasn't. He was he wasn't underrated, if that makes sense, because he wasn't mm. performing as he should have been for West Ham. It's got to be on who wasn't as valued as much as they should be. A bit like this podcast, like people think you're the funny one, whereas really, <laughs> if people look consistently, like <laughs> throughout the start, yeah, they'll realise they're, they're right. <laughs> then, uh, then uh, yeah, I think they'll feel seen that I'm underrated, but you might be the funnier. But my contributions, uh, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this. I wanted to put some kind of dig in, but I don't know where I'm going. But anyway, I think that's pretty clear. To be fair, yeah, it is clear, mate. It is clear. So, Good. formation. What are we saying on a formation? Well, I'm thinking like since 1992, if you was to sort of like I guess tally up the most frequently used formation in our history since then I'd imagine over time probably be quite close between 4-4-2 and then like a sort of wing back type system that we had a lot under red nap but I would imagine that 4-4-2 is the most consistently used so with that in mind I think it should be that <laughs> okay that's interesting uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to see if that's going to change because Looking at a snapshot of these players that I've collated for this discussion, I see it as more of a 4-3-3, but let's start with a 4-4-2 and amend it later if we have to. Let's start with the goalkeeper. Right, so what I think it's important to do also to sort of explain to the listener how we did this, that I kind of created a list of potential options, because obviously if we just did this off the top of our head, we'd probably miss people out. So earlier in the day, I read through, so this has had a lot of uh, listener input as well. Yep. I read through a lot of the tweets that people had put to us um, about their underrated players, and I kind of compiled potential options for every position. And then obviously I sent them over to you. Um, mm-hmm. And so we've had the same options. And then we was to discuss what... Um, what we were going to go with um, based on those options. So the actual, this is, you're going to have to bear with me. This is going to have to switch between about three different things on my phone. But the actual squad for goalkeepers we had was Jasker Leinen, uh, Bernard Lamar, Les Seeley, Roy Carroll and Shaka Hislop and Craig Forrest. Sorry, Craig Forrest was another one. Um, and we had to choose out of those goalkeepers. So do you want to say who you went with first? Well, I went for Jaskolainen. That was my choice because, you know, I think he came in on a free under Sam, didn't he? And I think when you look at what we paid for him and the experience he brought to the side, and to be quite honest with you, pretty consistent performances. I don't really think he was, um, I don't know, given the accolades he was for the job that he he came in and done. I mean, you look at the other names there, uh, for different reasons, I, I don't think that they get ahead of UC for me. That's interesting because he he did feature and obviously he got um, runner up in Hammer of the Year one year. I can't Mm. remember which year it was, but I'm pretty sure he was runner up. And I remember at the time thinking, you know, not arguing with the decision, but being surprised at the decision that he had. And when you look back at West Ham's great goalkeepers, uh, I mean, you wouldn't describe him as a great, but you never even consider him as a potential option, do you? No. Um, no. So I do and, kind of and agree. And that's the with, reason why for me. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I could probably be persuaded on this. See, originally I went with Hislop, but then I, like I said earlier, I thought he was he was Hammer of the Year, and he was like, and that year that he was Hammer of the Year, he was like unbelievable, and the fans always raved about how even though he was from. 
um, Trinidad and Tobago wasn't either. I think at the time there was a loophole, maybe because he was born here or had lived here a certain amount of time, that he could have played for England. And I mean, I remember people saying, yeah, he should, he should, he's doing so well for West Ham. So that makes me think he probably wasn't underrated at the time. So then that yeah, took me to like... That took me to like Bernard Lamar and Craig Forrest. <laughs> now, Bernard Lamar only played 13 times for West Ham, but he played in that year when we had like when we had a couple of decent sort of runs in the quarterfinals, I think. And he was a very good player. He then went to represent, um, I don't think he played because Bartes was the number one, but he was in the, the French national squad for the 98 World Cup, which they obviously won. Um, so I thought maybe fans don't remember him and possibly because he didn't play that regularly. Um, and then that took me to Craig Forrest. Now, Craig Forrest was always under shadowed because he played overshadowed sorry by um Hislop because he was around at the same time and he could mm. never really force his way into the team but whenever he got into the team he was very very reliable very solid keeper and so then I was taught but then I think I actually I actually thought about it and I thought yeah for what Jaskalainen did it was the you know the first season back in the Premier League I think wasn't it because Green pretty much left after that playoff final and he mm. came in Jaskalainen and as you said he was old he was about 36 37 yep. came in on a free transfer and played very very well and obviously if you're going to try and survive relegation you need a solid keeper and he didn't have the greatest of defences in front of him either um, no. so I think because you've gone for him and because I was undecided, I'll go with him as well. Good, good stuff. I mean, you could have thrown Les Sealy in there, but yeah. um, <laughs> purely because he could play up front as well as in goal. You know, well, exactly. Uh, not a lot of, not a lot of that was funny because the other that. day someone messaged me and they said about how. Um, uh, it was uh, a Newcastle away in about 1996. Um, we lost 3-0, but Les Seeley still got man of the match because he made so many saves. So you yeah. imagine what it would have been like without that. And he, he was an absolute diamond geezer. The day he died, I remember I was in I was in Cavos. I was actually working, away, working abroad in Cavos. It was about like the 9th of August, probably round about 2001, roughly off the top of my head, those sort of times. And I remember hearing the news and I remember being absolutely devastated because he was such a good character. He was such a lovely lad. Like, but I don't know if you remember at the time, but when he, he used to be, um, he used to warm up the goalkeepers as well. Yep. Oh, and, yep. and, he, and he'd get such a good reception and really join in with the with the with the crowd. And um, you know, his family got a bit of a, a link to West Ham. I think Alan Seeley, who scored in the. European Cup final, did he? he was um his his uncle or something, and then obviously his two yeah. sons. I think one was called Joe. I can't remember the other one. Were both in our youth team as well. So he's a he's a, a big character for West Ham. But yeah, mm. I, I think Yaskaline and probably did a bit bit more and isn't remembered as much as he should be. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm pleased we agree on that one. Um, tougher than I thought it was going to be, actually, the goalkeepers, because uh, before we we kind of um, got the names together for this, I thought the goalkeeper would be one that we struggled on for lack of options. But there's a few in there that, that can have a steady argument on this. But I, I'm pleased we both agree on UC. So let's talk about the centre-halves. OK. Now, we've got to pick two. And, <laughs> and I want to start by saying... Hanu Tihanen, yeah, when he came to West Ham, right now, mm-hmm. it's funny, you know, because I remember thinking, what a great player this fella is. Yeah. So I looked him up, right, and I couldn't believe this. I don't even think he played ten games for West Ham. No, he didn't. 
he was on yeah, loan, wasn't he? But, but he left he left such an impression on me that in my mind, subconsciously, I thought he'd played twenty, thirty games. Yeah. But the fact that I can still remember, in my opinion, what a great player he was based on the eight games that he played, I think it's gotta go some way to say He's got to be a name that's discussed for this. And and I don't know why. I know he was on loan, but I, I can't for the life of me understand why we didn't try and sign him on a permanent. We did, but we couldn't we couldn't agree terms in the end. He ended up being right. slightly too much than we wanted to pay for him, I think. Is that was, right? Yeah, and I remember being absolutely gutted because, like, like you've just said, I remember him being really, really good. I think he played in the, you know, when we beat Man United in the Cup and Tacanio scored that Barthez goal. Yeah, I think that was one of his games. And I remember another game. It was a home game. can't remember who it was against. But um, he did this amazing overhead clearance off the line. And I just thought, this guy is absolutely mint. And I really, really wanted us to sign him. And, um, yeah, and we didn't. And I remember thinking that was a massive loss. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, James Tompkins was another name that came to mind because obviously he left West Ham through lack of first team opportunities. I think a lot of fans out there, interestingly, were quite frustrated with the club for letting him go at the time, thinking that we proactively wanted to shift him on. But as you know, we didn't. He wanted to leave for first team opportunities. You can't blame him for that. Uh, but was he was he underrated potentially? Because no. I think James, you don't think I- so. I don't think he was underrated. I don't. I think he was a good player, and I think mm. people thought he was a good player. And I think, I think what West Ham fans thought thought of him was how good he was, and and the club thought of him was how good he was. I when we sold him, yeah, looking back, maybe it wasn't the greatest move because we've had a few dodgy centre backs since his time. He probably would have been good to have that consistent sense back and maybe on reflection we shouldn't have sold him but I don't remember being gutted I remember thinking it was actually a good price that we got for him at the time and Mm. I don't think I don't I think what we think of him is what we should think of him I don't think he's underrated yeah yeah no I I find it hard to argue with that to be honest with you a number of people mentioned his name but I think I'm going to side with you on that so who are you having in place of Tomkins well, let's let's put the, the the potential options that we put out there, and then I'll go with who I went with. So the options we have for centre back were De Costa, who, yep. if you remember, actually joined us in part of the deal that took Savio out of the club um, and he actually was I just thought he was a bit of a makeshift at the time just thrown in to sort of mm. basically get rid of Savio but he turned out to be a fairly decent player um, you know quite um, quite solid quite good in the air and stuff I think he got into a bit of trouble outside faces one time and then it, that ended up being the end of him but um, I think West Ham fans, a lot of West Ham fans, certainly the the more recent generation, probably would never have heard of him, or mm. certainly like some wouldn't remember him. But I actually think he was better than what we do remember him as. But I, I'm not going to go with him. Um, then we had Ian Pearce, who I mm. think was a brilliant centre back at times. He, mm. People seem to think he was this slow kind of donkey centre back, but actually he was one of the fastest players around. If you read anything from players at the time, they always say how quick he actually was, and he could play up front as well. So he had he a could. decent finish. You know that goal he scored against Tottenham away in the last minute. I was yeah. at that game. Never forget that. Um, so. I think he was underrated, definitely. Um, David Unsworth was only there a season, um, but was very good in that season, I guess, because he was only there a season, perhaps, although we're going to put Tinnin in, uh, perhaps mm. that's possibly why you don't rate him. Um, 
Christian Daly, although I'd actually properly say, in some ways, people overrate him because of the song, because of the chant, but, you know, Football Genius, and we let you shag our wives and stuff. If you actually remember, he was quite dodgy at times, so I think possibly he was the opposite. So, for me, the player I haven't said, and the player I'm going to go with, is Mark Reaper. See, I disagree with that. Okay. I disagree with that because I I thought he was very highly rated by West Ham fans, myself included at the time. And uh, and I think people still look back on, on Mark very, very fondly with his partnership with Slavin Bilic. Um, yeah, I think, I'm I not sure though he gets, you know? I'm not sure he gets the recognition he should do though, because if you think about Bilic, everyone's like, yeah, Bilic was amazing when he came in and he was so good and then he left to Everton, etc. It's very rare people talk about Mark Reaper now. He was like, you never get these moments anymore because of the likes of me, but he was one of those transfers that he was on loan, I think, to us, um, and then we made him permanent. But no one knew he was going to be made permanent. And do you remember, I think it was before Blackburn, who might have been the reigning champions at the time, I can't remember, um, but he was announced on the pitch. Uh, it was either before the game or at half-time, and it was announced that he'd signed permanently. And everyone was, like, absolutely buzzing for it. Um, mm. And I think, and I think, but now, if you look back, I don't ever hear people really talk about how good good he was um but i guess if you're going to rule him out that strongly then perhaps i'll go with ian pierce then possibly it well, depends who your option is yeah see it's interesting because you talk about uh, manuel de costa there and, and i feel that with him it was a story of what could have been i, I remember looking at him as a center half thinking i don't think i've ever seen a football player be able to jump that high in my life i don't think you ever saw him lose a header Mm. Um, it was incredible in that respect. He was strong. Um, I thought he looked okay. He looked like quite a decent player um, to a degree where I don't think he was probably given the opportunity that he should have been given. Um, Tomkins, I'm happy to rule out. Tihan and I, I'd, I'd like to have him in there, to yeah, be honest. I'll have you. him, yeah. We'll you know, him. great player. Um, Colin Foster, you know, was, was one. But I don't, does that go into the Premier League era? This is what I think. I don't think he does. So rule no. him out. Okay, Christian Daly, I agree. Um, Steve Potts was another, but then Steve Potts did play 399 times or something for the club, so you can't really be undervalued if you play that many times, if that makes sense, because you've obviously been valued for quite quite a lot to have played that many games. Yeah, and I think he's got a good reputation with the fans as well, and and he uh, Mr. Reliable, apart from that cup game against Luton, but we won't go there. We'll bury that in the back of our minds. Yeah. I would I would probably feel more comfortable going with Ian Pearce than I would Mark Reaper if I'm honest because I think fans look back at Ian Pearce and I think they you know you only got to look at a pre-match event we've done with him I think they remember him fondly but just what you were saying there no one realised how quick he was no one realised how strong he was how versatile he was the goals he scored the goals he stopped you know really if you look at that collectively you think he probably should have had more credit than he did. But maybe this is the disagreement on Mark Reaper. I don't actually look back and ever think that he was underrated. Well, a lot of people did. Tweet, a lot of people did tweet his name. Did they? Yeah, man, that's where I got it from because I was, you know, I remember Reaper so fondly. I think, you know, Reaper was at that age mm. when I was probably about 13, 14, when I was really getting into, you know, West Ham and stuff. I and I just remember thinking he was amazing. Um, yeah. But, um, but I think he's, he's got to be also known as one of the best centre-half partnerships in recent memory at West Ham as well, I would have thought. 
Yeah. Um, well, maybe on that then, go on Ian Pearce. I guess, like, if because I still think fans think of him as like, this clumsy centre back that was a bit fat, bit slow, you know, a bit not very skillful. When actually he was the opposite of all of those things. He was actually mm. a lot better technically than than he thought. And you know, it's just to throw it in, like you said, we had him at the pre-match event, and he's an absolute diamond geezer as well. Mm. You know, really one of those footballers, a bit like James Collins, who's just like. Just like your lad down the pub that happens to be good at football, you know, no yeah. ego on his um on his shoulders, no arrogance, just very down to earth. So yeah, yeah for that yeah. it would be quite nice to recognise him. And also West Ham fan as well. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's, let's, let's give it to Ian, shall we? Okay, let's go it out. Yeah, Ian Pearce. Okay. So, and Pearce. Right, OK, so we've got our centre-half pairing with, with UC sitting behind them. Right, let's talk about full-backs. Which do you want to go with, left or right first? Go with, go with right first. Um, OK. So, for me, there was two that stood out for me really highly. Um, one was Tim Breaker, you know, an yep. absolute consistent of the 90s. You know, he was the, from my memory, I think he was the first player we ever signed um, when I had a season ticket that I can remember, I think he must have joined very early on in my first season as, as going because I think Potts was right back to start with, and then I got a feeling Breaker came in and replaced him. Um, so, I, so he was there throughout the whole of the 90s. You know, never ever ever got spoke of as being good enough for England or you know I, being good enough for a top six club or whatever. But he was just so consistent, such good energy. I remember reading that when he was like a kid or something, he was um, like a cross-country champion or something, and you could see that in his play, just so, so, like, um, energetic. And I think he had that consistency at right back for such a long period. We think nine years is such a long time. And when you talk about West Ham heroes gone by, you never talk about Tim Breaker. I remember, I mean, hopefully Tim doesn't listen to the show now because <laughs> we might get him on as a podcast guest in a, in a few weeks. But he, um, we were going to have him for, a, for an event. And I was quite keen mm. because for me, mm. he was, and you weren't sure, but this you thought people wouldn't perhaps. I'm not, I'm not sure he'd sell tickets even to this day, just from my yeah. experience of doing these events. And I still well, stand by that. And that means that he must be massively underrated because yeah. in what he did for, for West Ham was phenomenal. And the only other person I put him up against was Schemmel. Now, I remember Sebastian Schemmel being absolutely brilliant for like mm. when we first got him. He was just so good. And I remember I was at university when he played for us. And I remember saying to my university mates, like, you know, we'd always do the, you know, your best Premier League 11 or whatever. And people would always go with Gary Neville or... Petrescu or whoever the right backs were in those days um, and I would always say Schemmel is one of the best right backs and they would laugh at me they would literally think I was only saying it because I was a West Ham fan but he was so good but then I thought to myself well actually he won Hammer of the Year didn't he yep. so in that respect that everyone else must have thought he was that good as well so that made me go with Tim Breaker yeah he was gone too soon from West Ham what was the uh the reason behind that do you remember yeah he had a he had a bit he was a bit of a, a hothead i think he actually owns a I think like a cafe like a maybe a coffee house or something and it's in a european city and i don't think it's in france it might be belgium or it might be holland i can't remember but um and he's like got west ham memorabilia up in his um in his cafe and stuff um but i think he just he was quite a fiery character and i think 
Rhoda, who was the one that originally brought him in from memory, or I think with Redknapp, there was so like when Rhoda was like the coach and Redknapp was the manager. I think it was Rhoda that got him in, and then I think they fell out with each other as Rhoda often did, and then he he was quite a fiery character, and they couldn't repair the damage, so that was why. But um, he ended up going to Portsmouth, I think, under Redknapp as well. Who Redknapp was the what is long story, but I think Redknapp didn't want him, and then Rhoda did, and then Rhoda signed him, and because Redknapp left, and then Redknapp ended up taking him to Portsmouth. <laughs> Random story, something like that anyway but um yeah so his career didn't really have the success it should have and then when he left West Ham I don't think his career really did much else you know played for Portsmouth for a bit and I think it sort of fell away a bit so I, I don't I'd maybe his attitude wasn't really in it but um yeah he didn't really have the time he should I mean the only other right backs that I thought of when we did this list was Joey O'Brien who is a bit of a like a comedy figure at West Ham in some ways for being rubbish. But actually, I would have said he always got a steady 7 out of 10 when he played right back. You know, I don't think Joey O'Brien ever let us down. You know, he wasn't an amazing player. But considering, again, he was a free transfer thrown in in the Premier League, I thought he was a right, right back. Um, then you had um, Jakobsen, who probably didn't play enough games on us. We got relegated that year as well. And then Jonathan Spector, who's a lovely fella. I obviously did the Las Vegas event with him and kind of he also played in midfield and stuff. Um but I think out of all of those I'm gonna go with Breaker. He was my choice as well. And I actually thought he was a clear choice for me because uh, you said something earlier on, I actually disagree with it where you said, you know, to uh, to be able to play a certain amount of games for a club must mean that you're not un- underrated or you're not undervalued yeah. and I disagree yeah. with that because yeah, um, I did I, contradict myself a bit on that when, when yeah, we talked about Breaker and I think with Tim you know I, I, I back up everything you said there and I think he played close to 250 odd games for West Ham and he was he was very consistent uh, he could bomb forward very fit very quick and um, and I just think people see him as a bit of a steady Eddie. And I think it's easy to take people like him and Stevie Potts for granted. And I think that's what we've done with Tim. And when you take someone for granted, sometimes you can overlook just how much value they brought. Um, and that's where good I found... at crossing as well. He was, yeah, he was good at crossing, actually. So, mm. you know, I think, yeah, Shemmel is a, is a hammer of the year, so you instantly have to discount him. Jerry O'Brien, I thought, to be honest, was a pretty bang average player, in my opinion. I mean, seven out of tens, I think, is quite generous, but I don't think you're far off. Just my opinion. Spectre, OK, Jakobsen, I think you summed that up. So, for me, it's a, it's a clear winner for Tim. I think he's got to be in there as my right back, and we agree on that, which is good. Yeah, yeah good. Um, left back. Yeah, so this one's tricky because, again, the options for left-back, and I this was the one I struggled to think of options for the most, was left-back. And um, so the options that we had were Alunga, David Burrows, George McCartney, Matty Taylor, who I know played kind of a bit more midfield at times for West Ham. But, again, we're looking for options. And then um, I think I think that was it, it was for the left-back options. I couldn't think of anyone Rufus else. Brevet was in there as well. Oh, yes, yes. Rufus Brevet. Yeah, Rufus Brevet. Yeah. Um, and I found this really, really hard. And I've, I've gone with a player, but on the discussions that we've had, maybe he was more rated than I'm giving credit to. So do you want to go with who you went with first? Like you, I think this is quite difficult. Um, I was torn between two, uh, and that was David Burrows and George McCartney. Yeah, they were the snap. two that... Were they? So that yeah. for, for me, for two very different reasons, I think George had two separate spells of us, didn't he? And yeah. kind of similar to Tim. Obviously, he didn't play as many games as Tim, but 
when he did, I don't ever remember him necessarily having a bad game. I thought he had some good games at times, and I thought he got quite overlooked in that respect. With David Burrows, it was a different scenario because obviously he was coming in replacing Julian Dix. So he had an impossible task, and to a degree, couldn't really win from day one. I'm not saying that he couldn't win the fans over, but to go from Julian Dix and his direct replacement as part of that swap deal was David Burrows, you're always going to be climbing a mountain to to win the affections of those fans when actually... Mm. I thought we did okay for West Ham. In fact, probably yeah. better than okay. I thought we played really well for us. Yeah, I, I think um, I agree with everything you said there. I think with George McCartney, and again from memory, I think he got runner-up in Hammer of the Year one year as well. So, again, he must have been reasonably well-rated. But do you remember that goal he scored again? I can't remember who it was against, but amazing sort of volley that it was like with goal of the season contender. Um, oh, but, Bell. You know, yeah, look it up, it's Bell. A, it's a great goal. Um, so I so I went with him. I went with George McCartney because I think when you look back at left backs, he played for us over two spells, was really highly rated. He was one of the reasons. And I actually got this quiz um, question. I don't know if you saw, I took part in um, Hammer's chat a quiz uh, the other day. With I saw me. that you did it, but I didn't see it. Yeah. How, how did you get on? Uh, one it, mate. Did us proud. Oh, my man. <laughs> <laughs> got quite a decent score as well. And I was actually, I got 20 out of 25. And I was gutted that I got a couple of them wrong because some of them went, the the right answer was in my head. And then I went with another option. So I should have really got about 22, 23s without meaning to show off. They did ask who would be the better representative of the West Ham way, me or you on the quiz. And <laughs> I did, I did put my name forward for that. I'm going to be honest. You know what? <laughs> and, and thank God you did. <laughs> That's all I can say. Fuck well, yeah, we'd have had no chance. Well, I said if um, it was a fight, you'd be the one. Do you know what? You know better than most. My memory is just shocking in everyday life, to be honest with you. And uh, it's strange because I can remember some really weird and wonderful, bizarre things that I shouldn't remember in, in West Ham's history. And then I'll probably forget some obvious ones. So you were definitely right to um, carry the bat on there, mate, without a doubt. <laughs> Well, there you go. So one one of the questions was um, which two players were sold um, for on the last day of the season, which meant that Alan Kerbishley resigned, and I and I was the only one that got it right. And I think I was the only one that said that George McCartney is the other option. Um, and 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 I don't know if you remember that was how upset Kerbishley was that he resigned over it. Now, of course, it's not just because it's George McCartney. It's because of the fact that he was being undermined. But still, if it was like an average player that was just sold underneath your sort of hands like that, you would um, you would probably not be that bothered. But Kerbishley was so bothered that he resigned. And I think people will never... If you ever talk about the greatest left-back at West Ham, now, obviously, um, Julian Dix or... Um, Frank Lampard are the two options that are always, always considered, aren't they? You never consider anyone else, and rightly so, because they are head and shoulders above. But George McCartney, if it wasn't for those, was a very solid left back. And then, um, and as you said, yeah, David Burrows. comes behind um, Koncheski for me. I think Koncheski was a better left back than McCartney, in my opinion. Really? But, See, I disagree with that. I don't think he was. You? 
Yeah, really? I don't think he was. Yeah, really? I think I think McCartney was better all round. But um, and then um, and then you've got uh, David Bowes, who, like you say, had literally the impossible job. And then you think about it, we sold Julian Dix, which was gutting because you know everyone loves Julian, absolute legend. But yeah. out of that deal, we got David Burrows, who was a bloody good replacement. Mike mm. Marsh, who was a very tidy technical midfielder, and then we bought Lee Chapman. Now I know Lee Chapman wasn't popular with fans. But he still scored quite a lot of goals um, mm. when we got him. So actually, whilst it was awful to sell the legend Julian, we actually didn't do too bad out of it at the time. But um, mm. the mm. other contender potentially was Alunga. Now I could tell you some really, really funny stories about yep. Alunga, and I think mm. I've told you them. But I have to probably be a little bit careful. If it's the same story, the if it's the same story we're thinking of, then yeah, I was there when it was told to you. Well, there you go. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it's were told told to me by someone who probably shouldn't be telling me those stories um, and uh, <laughs> but let's just put it this way um they think because he, when he was on loan with us he was brilliant wasn't he and then he signed a permanent deal and he just literally declined hugely now you could put it down to the fact that he yeah. um you know he'd got the permanent deal so maybe he'd lost interest and stuff and there was at one point Liverpool were interested in signing him when we had him on loan um but then <laughs> the, the, re, the reason they put down to him being as uh, the decline that he was is that he was a lot older than um than uh, perhaps was <laughs> perhaps was said on his uh, birth certificate when he arrived and then that if you follow on the stories about saying too much the ultimate mm. outcome ended in African mayhem. And I think that's where <laughs> that's where I'm going to leave that, that kind of story. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Because but, I don't want to run the risk of uh, saying if I shouldn't say so. On the on to cut to the chase, it's between McCartney and Burrows. Who are you going to mm. go for? Well, I think I'm possibly more split between the two than you are. If you're more George McCartney, then we'll yeah. go with George because I'm 50-50 on Burrows and McCartney. Okay, well, I yeah, I think for me, he was just so consistent. He's such a random person as well, because no one knows where he is. Like, I've <laughs> tried to trace him down, like, you know, considering how many contacts that we've got and how many players that we know that played in the same team as him, every person I ask, and believe me, I've asked, like, must be near 10 now, has no idea where he is. <laughs> have you ever have you ever heard of him just do anything in recent nah, years? No, nah, no. Nah. But exactly. you know what's interesting as well? I mean, I've heard a similar thing with Lucas Neal. Apparently, he's, yeah. just, he's gone into hiding in Australia now. He lives his life like a, a hermit, apparently. Apparently so. And um, he was for, one that for actually... For a big character, that's, that's surprising. Exactly. He was one of them that actually um, that people were saying is an underrated player. And they were basing it upon our last two podcasts with um, Collinson and Collins saying, like, you know... Yeah how they said how amazing he was yet do West Ham fans know how amazing he was so he was actually a potential candidate for right back but I I think most West Ham fans know probably because of our podcast now how important he was and valued at the time yeah. Um, so yeah I think I think maybe if we go with McCartney, I only know this because I've listened to the Quickly Kevin podcast, but apparently David Batty who again if you think of characters is probably in a similar uh, strand to Lucas Neil, you know, fiery, uh, gets stuck in, burst shouting at players. You know, had that fight with Graham Lasso, didn't they? Um, mm. Apparently, he's exactly the same. No one knows where he is. No, he didn't talk to anyone. He's just very, you know, reclusive. And um, yeah, strange, isn't it? When you get big characters like that. 
That's incredible, that is. Right, okay, so we've got our back four. Yeah. Um, now let's look at our midfield four. Um, where do you want to start? Uh, should we go in the middle again, like we did with the defence? Yeah, I mean, there's, well, I think there's possibly, well, not two obvious ones. There's one obvious one for me, and I think you're going to know what I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah give us the short list. I think now, uh, for central midfield, I kind of did it as both attacking midfielders and defensive midfielders. So I guess depending on how he wants to set up, you could obviously have two of one or one of each type thing. So it doesn't really matter. But the, the players that I threw in, and again, these are based upon the things that people uh, messaged to me. Um, we were Peter Butler, Michael, Car- Michael Carrick, Mike Marsh, Alex Song, Hayden Mullins, Barami, Gary O'Neill, the army and Nolan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, you could throw Mascherano in there. You did explain this earlier. You did explain this earlier with Mascherano. I mean, yeah, I still think you could potentially put him in there because I think that's underrated by the management. But didn't you say that that was one of the, one of the guidelines? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I guess so. But I think he just, he just didn't perform when he was at West Ham. Now, maybe that's because he didn't have the chance to, or he was like Mullins gets him out of the team. Um, but for whatever reason, if you judged him on his performances for West Ham, he wasn't that good. But obviously, he was a world-class player. So. Do you know what's strange, though? I mean, we were talking to Ginge last week on this podcast, and it was Ginge that said in training, he was unbelievable. Like, mm. unbelievable. One of the best players he's ever seen and trained yeah. with. I mean, how many appearances did he actually have for West Ham? I think it was only, like, 13. And do you know what? The only Something like that. And do you know what? The only thing I can really remember about his time at West Ham is it wasn't it Jermaine Defoe bit him when we played Tottenham? <laughs> and that's literally, that's literally all I can remember. I can't really remember him doing anything else. And, that, and that's just such an awful way to remember. Like, a player that went on to play for Barcelona for so many years. Yeah, 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 I know, I know, it's crazy, he's the West Ham way. I mean, one that I was thinking about, and I'm not saying I'm going to put him as one of my central two, two choices, was Kevin Nolan. Yeah. Now, I know you've shortlisted him, so this isn't as outrageous as uh, you might think, because he's one of the names on your list, and I think, I don't know if anyone tweeted his name, did they? They did, yeah, yeah. They did, right, I, I, and I'll tell you my reason why, is because I think Kevin Nolan was massive for West Ham, on yeah. and off the pitch, fantastic signing um he was instrumental in getting Andy Carroll to West Ham as well which at the time was a great signing uh massive voice in the dressing room provided the connection between the players and the manager which people like James Collins will tell you is a, is a massive deal and scored some great goals um great assists brilliant link-up play with the front man and I just think to look back on the twilight years of his time at West Ham and see him get booed when he was coming on yeah. I just think, I don't know. Do we now look back and appreciate him more now than we did then? Yeah, maybe. Maybe because <clears throat> I think people reflect back now and they think, actually, he did do a good job as captain. Oh, massively. Yeah, massively. At, at the time. But see, the thing is, though, at the time, I think he shouldn't have been in the team. I'm not saying boo a player like I've always, like we said on the show last week. I really mm. disagree with booing a player. But I remember 
thinking to myself, God, how does he keep getting in the team? Yes, he scored important goals for us to keep us up, but now he is done. And I think had he not had that connection with Allardyce, he wouldn't have mm-hmm. been in the team for as long as perhaps he was. So he's a really tricky one because I think when you look back, he should be remembered really fondly, particularly for that season in the Championship and maybe the first season back in the Premier League. But he, mm. um, he, yeah, I think... Yeah, it's a difficult one. I I I I didn't pick him. Yeah, um no. Um I I didn't pick him. He was a contender for that reason, but he didn't make the final two for me. Hayden Mullins was someone that pushed me very close because yeah. you know every player that he ever played with said that he was so underestimated because in that position you typically are even in yeah. this day and age that is such a kind of thankless task to be expected to to be the bridge between defence and attack and just keep things steady, keep things simple. Um, and I think he was overshadowed in that respect. And let's not forget, he did keep Mascarano out the side, who was phenomenal in training, who did go on to become a world-class player uh, and had this worldwide reputation. Um, and he was great for West Ham, I thought. Now, I think he's a strong contender. But yeah. if we cut to the chase with the two that I've gone with, I think the easiest choice of this whole eleven for me is Frank Lampard Jr., Really? He wasn't even in the selection? Well, it wasn't in your selection. It wasn't even in the... I didn't send his name to you. Did you not? No, you've gone rogue with that one, mate. Wow, I've gone maverick on that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, well, I can't believe his name wasn't on that list. I mean, I, I, I think I'd started to create my own before you sent me yours over. Um <laughs> He's got to be in there. I mean, you know, we've covered the reasons why in recent podcasts, but he was a developing, growing player, consistently available, consistently decent, in my opinion, not the world beater that everyone expected him to be from day one. But I think that speaks volumes. You know, for me, he showed promise. He wasn't anywhere near as bad as fans used to say he was. And he got treated like shit. But he got treated like shit as the man who was building his craft, working hard, grafting every day and training to become better and better and better. And West Ham fans didn't see that in him when his dad and his uncle did and refused to accept him and ultimately mm-hmm. played, a, uh, played a small part in forcing him out of the football club. Well, what a fucking mistake that was, because look what he then went on to become. So if you're talking in terms of underrating and underappreciating someone, for me, he's got to be the first name on the team sheet. Yeah, see, it's no the way you've argued that is it's almost impossible to argue with you. Do you know though, when he was at West Ham, again, I didn't agree with booing him, um, and this proved how wrong I was at the time. But yes, I, I thought it was a bit like Kevin Nolan. He got goals. He was in great positions. You know, reliable in that respect. But in terms of his overall contribution to the team, I always thought he didn't pull his weight enough. And then obviously. He then did for Chelsea, and obviously if he'd done that at West Ham, he'd have been an amazing, world-class player that he turned out to be. But whilst he was at West Ham, yes, I think the Vans were ridiculously harsh on him and horrible at times, I guess. Um, yeah. He, um, he, I don't think he was that great at West Ham. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous. I think he was that, that bad. I don't think no. he was that bad. I mean, a lot of fans reckon he was a shower of shit at West Ham. Well, I don't no, remember that. We're not, no, well, I, that, but... I was watching him week after week. I thought he was a decent player that showed some promise. Yeah, he might have needed some work in some areas. But unbeknownst to us, he was working on those areas, no doubt, to then become the player that he was going to be. And it's obviously in his DNA to do that, because that's exactly how his dad went from being bang average to, to, to world class. Yeah. Um, but I, I just, if you're talking about underrating and underappreciating, for me, he's got to be there. And, and, I, and I'm, and I'm going to insist on that one, mate. 
Well, okay. Who's your other one then? My other one, I think, is more of an appreciation for him, really, and that's Peter Butler. Okay. Um, because he was again, my one. Was he? Good. With good. one other. Okay. Right. Okay. We'll come to your one other in a second. But as we as we both agree on Peter Butler, just an absolute workhorse, absolute grafter, and I think, especially in this day and age, I think as as football progresses. I think we appreciate the, the the defensive central midfielder more and more. And the catalyst for that might be your likes of your Makaleles and your Declan Rices that have maybe glamorised that position more through the evolution of football. But back then, um, I'm not sure that he was as appreciated as he should have been. And uh, and I thought he was quite underrated, Peter Butler. Well, he was an absolute, like you say, he was a Yorkshire Terrier. He was an absolute was. engine in midfield that was crucial to us getting promoted that season, um, uh, second season under Billy Bonds. Um, he he was an absolute engine. And when you look back at that team, you sort of, you know, you remember Bishop as being the sort of stylish flair player. You know, you think about Mad Dog, who, again, I guess could have been a potential option. A Mad Dog as the sort of crazy got the goals. You think of, um, you know, Julian Dix was knocking around in those times. You remember him. You remember, like, you know, some of those players that were playing in those days, Alvin Martin, Tony Gale. But you don't really talk about Peter Butler at all, really. Like no. he he just doesn't ever feature. And you know, I've never seen him come back on the pitch at West Ham. I've never seen him do an event for anyone. I've never seen him even really talk about West Ham. Yeah, well, you know you why? Was that? Well, I'm assuming this is why, because if I've got this right, I think he's he's forced himself a managerial career in Africa. Uh, yeah, no, I think he might be the Indian. Is it the Indian national manager, possibly? No, I think. I looked at this fleetly earlier on. Okay. I think he started at Botswana, <laughs> randomly. <laughs> okay. And then I think last year, he got appointed as the Liberia head coach. Oh, really? And that was, I think that was in August 19. So if these, if these stats and facts are true, um, he might still be there now. So he's, uh, yeah, he's, he's over in Africa, mate. You won't hear much from him these days on West Ham, I wouldn't have thought. We'll look it up in the break because I've been curious to see who he is managing now. I've got a funny feeling that India have a random manager, so I want to look up who that is in the break as well. But um, <laughs> yeah, like I, so I went with Butler because, like I said, I don't think people remember how much he contributed. Now, I'm trying to think if he played in the Premier League for us because I remember him more in the promotion season. But I've got a very... I've got a, a strong feeling that he might have started that first few uh, like months in the Premier League. He might have got a couple of goals or maybe got one goal or something like that. So I think he did play in the Premier League era. So we'll go with that. Now, see, my other choice is quite controversial as well because of the fact that he was rated at West Ham, also went on to have an amazing career, but I don't think he was rated as much as he should have been when he was at West Ham, and that's Michael Carrick. That for me, he was such a good football player. I just remember he he like so he's him and Joe Cole are the same age as me. So like I I sort of played football not with Michael Carrick, he's from up north, but with Joe Cole, I sort of play I'd played football with him in like against him. I'd heard of him in sort of football circles. So I was always really interested when that era kind of broke through because it was like my era to see how they get on. And obviously mm. Joe Cole was the one that was talked about massively like you know he was the next best thing he was the new Gaza he was this and that and he was meant to be amazing and I think because of that it overshadowed Carrick a little bit and 
again because of the different positions obviously Joe Cole was more attacking more flair so he stood out more um, whereas Michael Carrot was more of a defensive midfielder so he just did the sort of simple things well I don't mm. think people talked about how good he was now he he never ever lost the ball that he was I just remember he'd always have the ball he'd never lose it he'd ping passes all over the place he was physically very big you know six foot four six foot five he'd win challenges could crop up with the odd goal here and there a really really top fella that also people forget this because he then went to Tottenham which kind of clouds Mm. it a little bit but he Mm. went to he played stayed with us in the championship you know when that when all of those teams about those players abandoned ship after Rhoda he stayed and he played in the playoff final against Crystal Palace and I think got what got fouled just on the edge of the box I seem to remember and he and Matt, Matty Everington if you speak to him always says he was the best player he played with and I just think he just never when he was at West Ham people never spoke about him as highly as he should and don't get me wrong he was talked about highly he even got in the England squad I think when he was at West Ham but I don't think people spoke about him as much as they should you know Rio we used to love Rio we used to love Joe Cole Jermaine Defoe you know Declan Rice even now but Carrick never quite got that adulation mm-hmm. and I think for me then it'd be a bit of a defensive midfield with him and Butler oh and the other one I came close to choosing sorry was Barami because mm. I thought Barami and you could technically say he might have been a right midfielder as well but I think because he, he played in an era when we had like you know when we had Zola and we're at the bottom of the league and an Avram Grant he never played for us in a particularly good era so he was always like associated with crap teams basically but he was an absolute engine really really good player played at a top level in Italy played for Switzerland in World Cups and stuff he was a really good player and I think if he played for us in a different era he would have been remembered much more highly than he is so for me it was between Butler Carrick and um and um Barami but I guess if you've gone with Butler then probably should go with him if you're insisting on Lampard (sighs) I mean I'll tell you what we'll do. In the case of Lampard and Carrick, let's play rock, paper, scissors. And after three, you tell me what you got. And then I'll tell you what I got after. <laughs> really? It's so easy to One, choose. two, three. What you got? <laughs> Mate, hold on. What you have to say at the same time? Yeah. yeah One, okay, two, yeah. three, go. Paper. Scissors. Sorry, like, <laughs> leg there. It no, was a leg. You, it was a leg. Said, that's why I said you had to say at the same time. <laughs> Oh, I did. It was the internet, mate. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do a times table quiz. Go. Five no, nines. Don't go there, mate. Don't go there. <laughs> um, listen, uh, no, on a serious note, um, Carrick or Lampard? Because you know what? That's a great shout, Carrick. That is a great shout. Um, Unless we just go completely curveball and throw in Barami instead. Because yeah. if you think about it, Lampard, when he was at West Ham got in the England squad as well. Um, and so he obviously was getting some positive attention, joined Chelsea for 11 million, which at the time was a, a big Ham fee. Fans. Pardon? From West Ham fans he wasn't, though, was he? And, and no, again, but I guess in football he was. But I think, yeah. Again, I think that contradicts opinion because we're saying, you know, you were saying, I was saying about how I remember him being decent at West Ham. You were saying, well, he was known as not pulling his weight, etc. Well, he got in the fucking England squad, so it couldn't have been that yeah. bad. Stan no. fans, it still wasn't enough for them to say, well, maybe this kid's got potential. And I yeah. think the dog shit treatment he received from pretty much the second he put on the shirt, he's got to be in there, mate, Lampard. He, he's got to be, just because of the treatment and um, the fact that 
he wasn't as bad as everyone said he was, in my yeah. opinion. Well, and the opinion of the England manager at the time, clearly. Yeah, yeah, true. I just uh, we've done two shows of Loving Lampard now, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it might, I know it. Yeah, it might be tactically in our interest to go for Barami. Yeah, well, see, I don't think Barami is as good a shout as Peter Butler and Michael Carrick, in my opinion. I, well, I think Barami should be should be discounted. But then again, mate, this is why I was leaning more towards a four-three-three. Well, let's do that then. That might solve the problem. Let's have let's take out the, the, the we can maybe go back to it, but let's have Butler as the one for now then possibly. Okay, so what, what are you going? Are you happy with a four three three or well, you don't it depends want to... who we argue for up front. But so <laughs> so we have we have so we have a right midfielder and a left midfielder, shall we then? Right. So for now we're discounting Carrick, are we? Or you want to discount Lampard? We discounted both. So we just got Butler in the centre. So we've got a very wide midfield here. Oh, what? You're not going for three central midfielders, Carrick? No, you've got, you got like a central midfielder, a right winger and a left winger. Why? <laughs> because because we haven't talked about right wing or left wing. There's loads of players that have missed out. Oh, you you just want to talk about them, right? And then well, maybe... let's talk about them and see if we can make an argument for any of them, OK? So if I... If, if I load up the right wingers, the right wingers, got, uh, and you might be able to stick some of these in the middle as well. So um, you've starting got um, Alma Furtado. Um, starting to think that your isolation was going to your head, and you actually thought we were putting these boys out to play. I think you're, <laughs> you're putting yeah. much emphasis on the tactics here, but yeah, okay, mate. So, right, let's look at Alma Furtado, Matty Hunt, um, Junior Stanislas, Mark Robson, Mark Keller, and Faguli. Yeah, yeah, some good names there. I mean, starting with Matty Holmes, I think he, um, I saw somewhere that he got awarded quarter of a million in 2004 for a career-ending tackle from Kevin Muscat. Did you know yeah. that? Yeah, I did, mate. And Kevin Muscat is an absolute animal. If you if you look at his career, he played for Millwall, so there's no surprise. But if you look at his career, he absolutely destroyed people with challenges like that. And Matty Holmes was one of them. And I remember it. I remember I met Matty Holmes after quite recently after he'd had that injury, and he basically said, "I'm never going to play to this." This standard again, like it, it was just awful. And he'd had one of those fairy tale careers. Like he'd gone from um, Bournemouth to West Ham for a very cheap fee, and obviously went to Blackburn. And I can't remember if he was there when they won the league, or if it was just after they won the league. But he was there or thereabouts when Blackburn was successful. And then yeah, had his knee destroyed. I'll tell you a random uh, memory with Matty Holmes. Do you remember the game that he dislocated his finger? Yes, yeah, I do. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, and, I and, and, that. And, uh, Do you remember the, the horror on his face? And even my face as a young fan, seeing him re-emerge with this finger pointing the other way. Do you remember? Yes, I do. That's really weird. I, mate, I would never, ever have thought of that or remembered that ever. Yeah, if you hadn't yeah. said that. But when yeah. you've said it, I can remember it, yeah. Yeah, that's one of the strange uh, examples of my memory working sometimes. <laughs> and, yeah. And it not. Um, <laughs> Yeah, seem to have a memory bank of pointless things. Uh, locked yeah, away well, well, not, not <laughs> pointless, ironically, is the right word with his finger, isn't it? But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, I'd say it's oh, like God po- pointless shit in your head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it can be fun to unlock sometimes. Other times yeah. uh, it's a bit of a can of worms. But it was funny with him. I mean, he must have been the only geezer on that pitch that could have scratched his chin and picked his nose at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember, yeah, Matty, I liked him, Matty Holmes. Yeah, I liked good player. 
do you think do you think the fans liked him as much as we did? I mean, I'm assuming they did. I don't know. I mean, he weren't a well beater. Let's be honest. No, I think he was probably popular because he was like that kind of that cheap bargain that worked. His um, socks off and actually turned out to be better than he probably should have been. So, yeah, I think the fans did like him. I've actually just thought of another person who could potentially play on the right or in central midfield. Um, and I did throw his name in, but I think I threw it in later on was Danny Williamson. Now, he was an amazing young prospect when he first came through. He was the first alongside kind of Matthew Rush, who was also a good player. But uh, Danny Williamson was one of the first players I can really remember breaking through the academy and actually being really, really good. And then yeah. he he ended up joining Everton because he wanted to go to a bigger club. And that's when we got David Unsworth in exchange. And he ended up having career-ending injuries. And he's another one that's kind of taken himself off the radar a little bit, but Danny Williamson is another, is another good shout for that position. It is actually. His goal against Bolton, do you remember that? Yes, yes, very good. Oh, what a goal that was. Yeah, yeah. no, that, that's a good shout. Um, you know, I think Danny's got to be right up there looking at these yeah. names. You know? I mean, Mark Robson, I, I loved him uh, his time at West Ham. I liked him, a big character, um, worked hard, quite technically decent at times, I thought. Again, not a well-beater. Um, Skinniest legs in football. Yeah, they were actually like matchsticks, weren't they? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think Mark Robson, not necessarily my choice, but I think that's a, a good name to have in there. Stanislas, I'm not sure he was underrated at West Ham, to be honest with you. He surprised me that he's gone on to have a Premier League career, but I don't think we it was any loss that he, he left us. Uh, Faguli, similar thing. I felt a little bit sorry for him, Faguli, if I'm honest. I think yeah. his passion was there. His heart was there. He wanted it so much. He had a good cross on him, but I think ultimately Pace let him down in this division, I think, in my opinion. Amalfitano, another name you called out there. I don't know, given a bit more time, maybe he could have been... He could have fulfilled his potential at West Ham. That's a tough one now. Do you know, I think it's hard to put any of those names I just mentioned in front of Williamson, you know. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Do you know, like, I actually hadn't considered him, and that actually makes me feel like we could have a solution to our midfield issue here because we could have Willie, because I think Williamson could play in the centre as well from memory, so we could have him there. Um, so I think, yeah, Williamson for me, I think now I've talked myself into that as well because potentially no one, no one ever talks about him. When you talk about the academy and all the players we've produced, you know, you always go down, you know, your Joe Coles, your Rio Ferdinands, so on. Um, no one ever says Danny Williamson, do they? No, no, so they he don't. Was actually, they don't. a very good player. Matthew yeah. Rush was a very good player. Do you remember his goals against the oh. Ipswich? It was a great goal. Norwich possibly as well. Yeah, yeah he was a good player, but he just sort of fell away really. But mm. Danny Williamson then went on to Everton. Possibly should have done like got into the England squad and then got serious injuries and no one ever heard of him again. I think he might even be an estate agent or something in Brentwood. I think. Mm. So I'd love mm. to get him on the show because I think he'd have a great mm. story. But um, mm. yeah, so I think Danny Williams is a good shout. And so then if we think about that, then and if you go over to the left side, um, people said Michael Hughes, Matty yeah. Everington, Stan Lazaridis, Thomas Hitzelsberger, and actually uh, one of the only ones from the modern era, um, or from this era, Robert Snodgrass. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, yeah, Michael Hughes, again, you know, worked hard. Um, remember that game against Man United, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Matty Everton, he, he, he can't be in there, Matty. 
No, you know, he's the hammer, hammer of the year, of the year I think. Yeah. yeah, and West Ham fans love him, love Matty Everton, so he yeah. can't be in there. Lazzarini scored one of the best goals I've ever seen in my life yeah. at St James's Park. Fucking yeah. hell, what a strike that was. That was unbelievable. Yeah. That was an underrated goal. I'll tell you what, if that would have been scored by someone that played for a top four to top six club, you'd never stop seeing that on Sky Sports. Yeah, yeah, very true. Um, and I liked him, Skippy, you know. Yeah. So uh, we didn't talk about Mark Keller for the right right midfield. Like, I know I said his name, but he was technically very good. You know, he's a French international, so he had to be a good a good player anyway. And he scored that great goal against Derby, I think maybe possibly or Leicester, one of those teams. He was a good player. Yeah, I thought he was all right, Keller. I don't think I thought of him as highly as you did, maybe. But then that I might have been proving your point in that respect. Yeah. Um, yeah, Snodgrass going back to the lefties, Snodgrass. Yeah, I mean, I think he's been treated like shit by the club in the past. And he? so if you're talking about management and board ownership, I think it, yeah. it, it gets in hands down on that one. But I think the fans like him, don't they, Snoddy? And yeah. the, you know, I think he's been playing well this season, so I'm not so sure about that. Michael Hughes, I keep going back to him, you know, on the left. I don't know. What do you think? Have you have you made this selection already? Well, I went with Lazaridis. Um, mm. And the reason mm. I went with him is because, again... I don't. I don't think he was an amazing player, but when we got him, you know, that's what was going to be so uh, ironic about or iconic. Sorry, iconic about the tour to Australia this year if it had happened. That it, it, the last time we went to Australia is when we discovered, which I think was ninety ninety five, is when we discovered Stan Lazarides playing in a friendly against us. You know, paid a fee a quarter of a million for him, brought him over, and he turned out to be this like rough like diamond like you know he had he had a lot of skill as you said had a good shot on him he took people on he was a classic exciting winger you know when he got the ball and I, don't, I don't know if you remember this charm probably also to go with being underrated an underrated charm but do you remember the um the song Macarena well you must know Macarena yeah, yeah, yeah. the famous song they used to sing Stanley Stanley say Lazaridis Stanley Stanley Lazaridis Stanley Lazaridis I'd do the right and do the jump and stuff <laughs> I, I, used I to don't love remember that. that being sung over there you know is that you right do, you do or you don't I don't no, see, there you go. So people don't remember that charm, but it definitely happened because <laughs> I remember doing it on the terraces. So, and I remember as a fat, as a fourteen-year-old or whatever it was at the time, I used to think that was amazing. So um, yeah, so I mm. think I'm going to throw him in for most underrated charm and most underrated player. Yeah, I mean, it's a struggle for me on the left, to be honest with you. This is probably the one position I've struggled with more than any so far. So if you're strong on staying, I'm happy to back you on that. But I've got to be honest. I'm a bit confused about the central midfield here then. What are we doing about Lampard and Carrick? I think our midfield's got a little bit skew with in terms of balance here. But, uh, <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm thinking you could have a midfield three, which would be ridiculously random, but of Butler, Williamson, sort of on the right-ish, and Lazaridis kind of on the left-ish. So you're saying drop Lampard and Carrick? Well, because we can't decide. See, for me, it's Carrick, definitely. Would you consider Carrick and Lampard as opposed to Butler? I could do, but then it just looks ridiculous. If anyone reads our tweets and they say, without listening to the show, we are going to get so many people that say, Carrick and Lampard play for England and are known as our best ever academy graduates and we'll get so much shit for having those two in. Whereas yeah, if we then... have... But- 
if we have They're missing Butler, the point, though, aren't they? If they well, say they that. Are, but they will do because they won't listen to the podcast or just see the tweets. Whereas if you see the tweet and you see Butler, Williamson, and some people won't have even heard of Butler and Williamson, then they might understand it more. And with a and random left wing of Lazarides, which is a very <laughs> unbalanced midfield. But, but let's be honest, we're not we're not sending them out to to actually play a game. Um, well, we we could always go to a four five one. You could do. You could do, but that yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just I think it would be if you're talking about the topic of the show being underrated, and you're not including Carricker Lampard, I find that strange. I don't know. And I don't, I don't know. You know, was Lazarides was Lazarides underrated? I don't know. Well, maybe we go for a midfield three then, of a midfield three of Butler, uh, sorry, Carrick, Lampard, and Williamson. But then that seems almost too strong to be underrated. Yeah, okay. Why don't we go on to the forwards and then make a final call on it after okay. we pick up our front okay. two. Who have we got up front? Right, let me just get the names. So there was quite a few for forward, um, and you could probably stick some of these on the wing if we if we need to. Um, but um, we had, uh, where am I, forwards? Right, Trevor Morley, David Connolly, um, Hugo Porfirio, Bobby Zamora, Marlon Harewood, Diamante, Franco, Andre Ayew, and Paul Kitson. Yep. Um, there are some names that stand out to me instantly more than others there. Uh, Zarate, I thought was underrated. Yeah, yeah. For West Ham. Um, yeah. He's in strong contention for me. One player I absolutely loved at West Ham was Diamante. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely Loved him. Um, was he underrated? I mean, possibly. I mean, he was only there a season, wasn't he? I think he scored as many goals for West Ham as Tevez did. I think it was about seven. Yeah, he was uh, up in Hammer of the Year as well. Yeah, yeah. So maybe you could look at that and say, well, he wasn't underrated. Um, just gutted that we only got a season out of him, really. And then obviously he went on to score that penalty against England for Italy in the Euros, didn't he? he so He did. And this is the thing with like players like him and Barami and Hitzelsberger and De Costa and Franco, players like that, they played in that era where it was like Zola and he had no money and we just about stayed up and and then we had like Avran Grant come in. So he, they, they all played in a pretty shit era for West Ham. You know, that that, is, mm-hmm. uh, that end of sort of Kirbishly, Zola and Grant era is a quite depressing time as a West Ham fan. You know, no money and just cheap signings all the time and stuff. So I think because he played in that such a crap era, people possibly don't remember him as well as they would do if he'd you know imagine if we'd had him and Decanio up front together or something mm-hmm. just how maverick and entertaining that would have been yeah and just just that raw Italian passion I love that yeah. you don't see that enough yeah. in the game and he had that in abundance used to ooze out of him um, yeah. so, I mean Zamora is a funny one you know because yeah. before we, we did this topic if on a whim you'd have thrown that name at me as part of this discussion I, I would have said you were mad but when you really think about what a good player he was and what he went through with West Ham and his career. I mean, he reached the European final with Fulham, didn't he? Did he ever yeah. play for England or not? He I did, think he... yeah. Oh, he did. he did. He got a couple of caps, I think, yeah. Right. So, uh, I don't know. Was was he rated to a, a point where he should have been rated by West Ham fans? Yeah, see, I don't know. 
the, the thing is, obviously, he scored the playoff winner for us, which is mm. massive. And then that season where we um, almost got relegated, the great escape season, you know, everyone always remembers Tevez and Robert Green and Noble, possibly. But Zamora played just as important role in that era as mm. they did in keeping yeah. us up. Yeah. I just think when you remember Bobby Zamora, though, most West Ham fans, and we know this about our events, because everyone always says to us, you've got to get some more, you've got to get some more. Everyone yeah. seems to think of him positively. You know, yeah. everyone remembers Bobby Zamora as being a really important West Ham player. So that yeah. makes me think he wasn't underrated. I agree. I agree. I think you're right there. Um, Trevor Morley. I mean, what a player he was for West Ham. Well, he's my choice. hundred percent. I just thought... In that no, you know, you look at West Ham's great strikers, and you never ever talk about Trevor Morley. And yes, technically, you know, he's not in the same league as like you know your Decanios or your Cotties or people like that. But if you look at um, if you look at what he actually did for West Ham over a long period of time, you know, he joined what under Lou Macari, like you know, our friend Wardy. You know, well, I'm not going to make the joke he always makes at the events, but uh, <laughs> it was uh, swaps for Bishop and uh, Morley and. Um, uh, he um, well, like, no, he, 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 he says it at the events, doesn't he? So can we say it or or not? Will I don't think it's shit? politically correct to no, go on a podcast, okay. but because right. it's, it's kind of in your working class environment, <laughs> and I do cringe a little bit when he says it at the events as well. So we pro- we it probably is quite funny, though, isn't it? Let's be honest. It is but, quite funny, but we yeah, probably should encourage it's, it. Yeah. Anyway, if I think about him, I, I just think he played for a long period of time. What, he must have been there to about, what, 95, maybe 96. So he would have played about six, seven years um, with us. He scored a lot of goals to get us promoted and keep us in the league. He was a really good hold-up player. You know, the amount of times he'd hold the ball and deliberately buy the foul and go down. And yeah, I just thought time. he was such a good player for us. And I just think... You never talk about Trevor Morley as being one of West Ham's best forwards, but I would no. say he, for me, if I was to pick my top five, he'd be in there. And the fact that he's never talked about makes me think he must have been underrated. I, I'm all over that, mate. Uh, you okay, won't get any good. arguments from me. Um, yeah, I'm with you on that, 100%. I mean, Hugo Porfirio, I remember at the time everyone being so excited about him. I mean, uh, you look at that game at Wrexham, still makes me laugh to this day. Yeah. When he saw Snow for the first time, he was like a, a Labrador puppy when he bounced around <laughs> all over the place. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I wouldn't have said he was underrated. I think every, the fans loved him, didn't they? He was, he was, ex- they was excited by him. They used to enjoy watching him and they had big hopes for him. I, I'm not sure he falls into that category for me i don't know what you think yeah i probably agree with that i think you can rule out hairwood on that as well because people people remember him as a positive uh, you know good player um franco is an interesting one because i can't remember who was who was it that we had it was either at the events or that we interviewed i can't remember but they said that technically he was one of the best players i've ever played with and i remember fans (sighs) being shocked by it but he um but he someone said it was this it was there was this year someone said that yeah. Someone said how good he was. So, anyway, but I think he was a really good player considering he was brought in on a free transfer when we had no money and stuff. He came in and did a good job for us. And again, people probably remember him as being a bit of a flop because they just see that era where we signed. You know, they always do that stat, don't they? Like 50 forwards signed under Golden Sullivan and how rubbish they all are. It and he'll be. Jinjeks, was it? Uh, possibly. Although he didn't say it on the podcast, did he? He didn't say it this week. But, uh, 
the events. They did play together, didn't they? I'm not sure whether they would have. Would they? No, I don't think they did because Ginge wouldn't have played much under Zola and Franco would have been under Zola. Right, okay. I got yeah. it in my dip that said it, but maybe I'm wrong. But go on, mate, carry on. Well, who have we had this year? We can work it out. We had Matty Jarvis, so it wouldn't have been him. We had Hayden Mullins. Would it have been him, possibly? Uh, we've had John Hartson, so it wouldn't have been him. We had the FA Cup players, wouldn't have been them. Wouldn't have been Phil Parks. Um, who else have we had this year? Uh, oh, it's been It's been quite a few. I've got really got it. Uh, got a feeling it was Ginge, you know. Maybe. Or Jack Collinson could have been him, I guess. Maybe. Okay. Well, yeah, well let's, know, let's mate. Yeah. carry on your Franco debate anyway. Yeah, so I now. think maybe he was like much technically than uh, better than people ever thought. Um, David Connolly's an interesting one because he never played in the Premier League for us, I don't think. So we can probably rule him out on that. But he was a great finisher. Lovely fella, actually. He started to write for the West Ham way for me once upon a time. Um, and he's actually a very intelligent bloke, really good fella. Um, but I don't think he played in the Premier League for us. So you can rule him out. Paul Kipson's an interesting one because obviously people do remember him fondly for when he joined with Hartson, but I think it's always more Hartson that's the the one you sort of remember more. But Kitson actually played for us longer and probably would have scored round about, if not more, the same goal, uh, more goals than Hartson over a prolonged period. Maybe I'm not sure, but he got a hat trick against Charlton, didn't he? When he'd been out in the mm. uh, out of the reckoning for a long time, and um, yeah, and he scored quite a lot of goals for us, Kitson. Um, and then you've got. Uh, Andre Ayu, who I think got a bit of a raw deal at West Ham, because whenever he played or got a game, he seemed to score or at least do something and look quite lively. And then we just kind of bombed him back out. And I don't think he really got a chance to, to show what he could have been at West Ham. So, you know, he's a possible shout as well. Yeah, I mean, Franco is an interesting one, because if I've got this right from memory for a small man, he had one hell of a leap on him as well, Franco. Yeah, unless I, I don't think, think he was that else. small, but he was good in the air. Right, though, okay. Yeah. I think he was like yeah. six foot, but he was oh, that <laughs> small <laughs> to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> Massive for me. <laughs> yeah, I thought he was smaller than that. But um, anyway, but Franco for me, um, I don't think he did enough personally to, to warrant being more rated than he was in my opinion Kitson I think is always remembered as one of the most exciting heart racing pieces of West Ham's history in in the season that we stayed up and um, you know some memorable games along the way when he'd signed so that partnership with Hartson and Kitson again you talk about partnerships in the history of West Ham certainly recent history with the likes of Bilic and Reaper at the back Hartson and Kitson up front as a partnership in recent times you'd do well to better that so you know if, if you and other West Ham fans agree with that statement could you really be class him as being underrated I'm not so sure I mean Andre Ayew I think he did okay I, I think I think there's some truth in what you're saying he he, he possibly did get a bit of a raw deal and I don't think he was a bad player but I don't think he really warranted again being more rated than he was in my opinion which this is now becoming easier and easier for me because obviously Connolly didn't play in the Prem Harewood I I think was was thought of very highly Zamora we go back to him and I think really and truly he's, he's thought of so highly by West Ham fans I don't think he can be in there so in my opinion it's between Zerati, Diamante and Morley. How about, um, do you remember Jerome Bohr? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, I do. He was, uh, like, 
for a season. When he played up front with Cotty, sort of mid early to mid nineties, he was a very, very good player. No one yeah. ever talks about him. I mean, I don't know if you know his backstory after that, but he moved no, he to Yeah, he moved to Japan or somewhere and his eye gouged out by someone and then he committed suicide not long after that. So yeah. yeah, quite a checkered life. But uh well I mean I remember him being a decent player for a year or two. Yeah. Um Okay, so what we're saying, and you, are you saying that that's that's a fair free to be debating about now? So right, I think know. so, but maybe what we could do is because I'm not feeling overly comfortable with Diamante because I think he was remembered fondly by fans. Who's the other one, Franco? Do you know what? That's that's fair actually, because being Hammer of the Year runner-up. Yeah. yeah, possibly you could discount him on that alone. Zerati was the other one. So Zerati. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. See, maybe what we could do is then to go back, we could do what you said and go four five one stick. Uh, have uh, Williamson on Williamson on the right. Have Butler, Lampard, Carrick in the centre. Have Lazaridis possibly on the left, and then just have Morley up front. Yeah, you want Morley over Zirati? Yeah, 100%, mate. I don't. I mean, whilst I thought Zerati was a skillful player and exciting to watch, he was bloody selfish. You know, he never passed, and I, I'm not sure how whether he was the right person for the Premier League. I don't, I don't think mm. I rate him as highly as you do. Do you know who he plays for now? No, go on. He plays for Boca Juniors, and do you know who also plays for Boca Juniors? What, Tevez? Yeah, Asso Tevez and Zarate at the same team together. And do you know what's interesting as well? I've been watching, like, obviously in this isolation for the first time in my life, I've actually got an abundance of time to do things like this. (laughs) So I've actually been watching quite a lot of Netflix, and there's a series on Netflix, and it's usually you that recommends series to me, but I'm going to recommend one to you, and I can't remember what it's called. It might be like the Apache or something, which I think is the neighbourhood that he was brought up in, but there's a whole seven or eight series um, film on Carlos Tevez and his early life and I've only oh, wow. watched the first I've only watched the first two episodes and it's in Spanish as well so you have to read the subtitles yeah, but the first two were really really good really good so it shows you like why he got the why he got the scar and then it shows you like his upbringing in Argentina where he was witnessing sort of murders and drug deals and stuff and sh- shows yeah. the struggles that his family had with um finances and so on so i would really really recommend it. it's funny actually because i text um i text ginger about it because we were having a bit of a you know bit, a bit of conversation about how the podcast had gone and obviously he'd mentioned tevez in that and i said to him you got have you watched this series on netflix you've got to watch it and he um he hadn't seen it so i haven't spoke to him since he said he was going to check it out so it'd be interesting to see what he thinks of it as well yeah how, how did he get that scar on his chest so he, when he was a baby so when he was about like i can't remember the exact age but let's just say like nine months or something he was he's he's it's hard to understand who the the, the relatives are but i think it was his sort of auntie and his mum um they were in the bedroom and they were like drinking something which is called mats i think it's called i'm not sure what it is it's it suggests it's a drug but i'm not sure if it is or not but anyway they were drinking that and he went into the kitchen and pulled the pulled the kettle over him oh. like, and, it, and he had like at one point they weren't sure he was going to survive and what's interesting is that they he's been offered many times by lots of his clubs because obviously he's got like shitloads of money now he's been offered lots of times 
terms, buy his clubs to have like reconstructive surgery and get it all kind of sort of fixed as best as you can. And he's turned it down and he says, no, this is my this is my symbolization of where I came from and the struggles I've been through. And it's me. And if you take if that you away from about West Ham there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, in life in East London. <laughs> well, that's it. Annoyingly, like I actually scrolled, you know, like on Netflix, you can see what each series is about, um, which each episode is about. Sorry, I scrolled to the bottom one to see if they mentioned West Ham, and from what I could see, it just seems to end before it gets to West Ham. So, like, so I don't <laughs> think we get mentioned, but it's definitely worth watching. Definitely. Yeah. Okay, mate. That sounds good. I'll, I'll definitely get on that. So. To recap, then, we've got Jaskolainen in goal. We're going for a 4-5-1 formation. Uh, Tim Breaker, right back. Ian Pearce, centre-half with Tihanen. George McCartney, left back. Danny Williamson on the right. Uh, a midfield trio of uh, Carrick, Lampard and Butler with Lazaridis on the left and Trevor Morley up front. Yeah, I think so. I think that's the, the best way to fit in our midfield debate. Here's a question for you. Who's the most underrated player out of that eleven? Jeez, that's a good question. Um, you, I don't know. For me, the two names, the, well, those three that just came into my head then, it was Breaker, Butler and Morley. They were the three that came mm-hmm. into my head, all a very similar era, um, and all would have probably played together. In fact, they would have played together. They'd have been there at the same time. So it's interesting. They're all yeah. from the same same era. Um, just before, like, you know, or ju- just when the Premier League started, really. Um, and then beyond, I think <sighs> Butler's the one that sings to me the most yeah. for some reason. That's me as well, actually. Yeah, that's weird, well. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, good stuff. Very interesting. We hope you enjoyed that segment at home. And as always, let us know if you agree with us. Have we missed anyone or have we chosen someone that shouldn't be there? We always enjoy the interaction on the back of our shows. And many of you have been enjoying the exclusive offer available to listeners of this podcast from Beer 52. If you missed a show last week, don't worry. The offer is still applicable. And to reiterate, for just £5, you'll receive eight carefully sourced crafted beers, a snack, a magazine and delivery to your front door. That is pretty much the price of a pint at the London Stadium. And take it from me and X, these beers are delicious. And some of which are as strong as 7% too. So why not make your lockdown a lively one? All you have to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash west. That's www.beer52.com forward slash west to claim this offer and get those beers in your fridge. If you subscribe, Subscribe to Beer 52, then they will send you a different selection of beers every single month. If you do change your mind, you can pause or cancel your account at any time you like. Your first case is a special selection of top brews from the UK and around the world, and these are chosen by Beer 52 experts that feature silky stouts, crisp craft lagers, and hoppy IPAs. Up next, it's News and Views of X. When you shop at a Walmart Vision Center, you get it. You know that you'll spend a little less on stylish glasses for the whole family. Welcome to the Vision Center. Let me know if you need help finding the perfect frame. Hey, Mom, you were right. These glasses are cool. Hon, they take our insurance. That means Papa's getting a new pair, too. Whoa, glasses start at just $39. Next up, groceries. So you can get a little more of what you need. Find a Vision Center near you. Save money, live better. Walmart. Yeah, it's in demand.
Okay, mate, have you got anything for us this week? Well, first of all, those three questions from the previous section while you were uh, just the way that I, I looked it up on my phone. Um, firstly, you were right about Peter Butler. If you check out his managerial career, it is quite fascinating to see the <laughs> random places he's gone from since starting at Halifax Town and uh, ending up <laughs> via Botswana and I think he's like like you said Liberia's manager and uh, who, can you think of the most famous person to pay for Liberia oh well no not now he's, he's not now but he's a legend of the game uh, I'm gonna be kicking myself I know it but go on I'll give you some more clues AC Milan Oh, George Weir. Yeah, George Weir. He's a librarian. I think he might, randomly, and people will need to check this, I think he might have actually been the president or whatever they have in Liberia after being a footballer. Wow. I'm pretty wow. sure. And then also Ali Dia. Do you remember who he is? Uh, yeah, that name rings a bell. Why do I know that name? So he's the player that pretended he was the cousin of George Warren, came on and played like 15 oh, minutes yeah. for Southampton because he convinced <laughs> Graham Soonis that he was uh, George yes. Warren's cousin. Yes. And, do, and you know what? If you look at the Brilliant. footage of that, because he came on and then got subbed off and Matt Letizia always jokes about how he came on for him and it was like, you know, low of his career and stuff. But <laughs> if you actually have a look, he had a really decent chance and he uh, admittedly didn't get much power behind it. But the keeper saved yeah, I just imagine if the keeper had actually not saved that, you know, you know if it would taken a deflection or something, and he'd yeah. actually scored. That would have been interesting to see how long he lasted beyond that. But uh, yeah, so Peter <laughs> Butler is is rightly their manager. And you know, I said to you, you sure he's not India? I'm sure they're managed by a random West Ham player. Yeah, cool. So on. I looked up who India's manager is, and possibly could have been a contender for underrated players at West Ham. And their manager is Igor Stimac. Really? Yeah. So I thought it was a bit random, you know, Croatian international, now manager of India. I didn't know that. See, I quite liked him, actually. Yes, yeah, like me. Doing our, um, yeah, I mean, when we was doing our, um, I think it was Worst Eleven, I saw a couple of tweets with his name in it, and I thought, no, that can't be right. I, I thought it was all right for us, Stimac. Yeah, I think it was a decent player for us I as well. Thought, I thought it was yeah. a solid player, didn't do anything wrong, you know, no. played at a high level for Croatia. You know, if you think about Croatian players, we had Bilic, Stimac, and Suka. So we had, like, yeah. three really decent Croatian players in their history. Yeah, Croatian um, legends. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I looked up Franco's height, and he was he's five foot eleven and three quarters, which is bloody <laughs> random because like it never ever says like um three quarters. Dude, that's the sort of thing I do to make myself yeah. sound taller. Like, you know, but he doesn't need to. At five foot eleven, so uh, yeah, 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 a bit yeah. random that. Anyway, right, Marco and now to which I've got some news on that. Now I don't know if actually no, I do know if you've seen because I've seen your tweet about it. Um, so uh, you've made your opinions quite clear, but. Um, uh, he's uh, put on Arthur Mazarakis. Um, uh, practice saying that guy's name. Um, uh, he put on his Instagram that um, something like tell West Ham um, that, I, that I'll come back and, and save them or something along those lines. I, I should have written down what he said, but something along those lines. And obviously, as we do, West Ham fans have got into an absolute frenzy about it. And um, I don't know, it seems to be about 50-50, would you say, from what you've seen on the reaction to it? Yeah, I haven't seen generally what people have been saying. I've I've seen um, a couple of things where people have tagged me on Twitter just to give me the idea of what he said. Um, and then when I tweeted, uh, quite simply, the word cunt 
with uh, a picture of him attached, the reaction was pretty much in agreement. So, um, and I stand by that. I think the geezer's a cunt. I don't know who the fucking hell he thinks he is. He makes my blood boil. And I, I, I just think the geezers are wrong. And so to see what he said, which I think was something along the lines of, um, tell West Ham they need to get me back because they need me or something like that or I'll come back or something or another and it's just like you're such an arrogant little fucking prick you just he thinks he's bigger than the football club and he just infuriates me and I just wish he'd fuck off but yeah so, <laughs> can you just tell me a bit more about what you think I'm not quite sure <laughs> <laughs> well you know um, how I feel about him well, exactly. And to be honest with you, mate, I'm a, see, I'm not as quite as strong as you. I, obviously, I do think he is. A, I feel a bit awkward saying that word, but I'll see you next Tuesday. Um, I th- I do think he is that. And I, like of all that, like you know, when we did our most hated players, I put him as first um, when we did the poll. So I feel along the same lines as you. But then I always have this sort of probably cheap, dirty side of me where I kind of think, but he's actually a decent player and he's probably better than there, in my opinion. Yeah, but but mate, Harold Shipman was a decent doctor, but he still killed every cunt, didn't he? (laughs) Yeah, true, true. Yeah, so (laughs) that's a great analogy, but um, yeah, so I am... I, I so part of me is kind of thinking like we're so desperate, maybe we should be desperate and take it back. But actually, no, I don't. Not in this case because he was actually such a problem, such a pain. I mean, I think he well, people probably want him back if I say this, but I think he almost like finished off the chairman and stuff with uh with all his stresses and stuff and his uh, uh problems that he brought. His brother's an absolute wrong one. But anyway, the what you've said about your kind of reasonings and how arrogant that tweet was was basically why he said it he has this kind of I guess running joke with certain West Ham players where he says like where it is an arrogant joke where he basically says like you guys need me um you're not the same without me you miss me blah 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 blah, blah. it's this joke he has apparently he texts them it like occasionally if um West Ham have lost games and stuff he'll he'll text or put it in whatsapp groups like you still need me guys and things like that so it, it is kind I think he's kind of done it tongue-in-cheek to Masaraku because I'd imagine it was kind of like that ongoing joke with him that um that they need him and so on so I don't think he's actually meant it and let's be honest you know he's absolutely creaming it in China um <clears throat> with our financial situation there's absolutely no way we could even get close to replicating whatever salary he's on out there so it's not gonna happen and the thing is as well I think he might already be 30. If not, um, he's due to be 30 soon. Um, He's been playing in a dud league for a year now. Uh, is he going to be the same player? He's certainly not going to be able to, um, you know, prove that he is because I don't know. I'm, I think he scored a few goals in China, but then so what? I could probably do that. Um, mm. So you know, I don't think he's going to be able to to sort of command what he would want here. And I just, I just don't. I just can't see why you would take him back because of the problems he is you know if he was like a a 21 year old that maybe had said a few stupid things and stuff like that and we were really desperate you could probably say yeah but you'd you'd like to think no I mean Moyes absolutely loves him so that's the the sort of link there but I don't think there's any truth to it I think it's basically you know him just trying to do what he's done and create controversy and make it about him. I mean, the reaction is all over Twitter, all over uh, Instagram. He's got what he wanted. One pass away comment like that. And the whole of the mm. West Ham community is talking about him again. So, yeah. So I think that's the situation. Really. I don't think there's anything, any substance to it. 
as I say, there isn't a huge amount out there at the moment because people are just making things up, like all these transfer targets that are suddenly mm-hmm. emerging. You know, like Eric Dia from Spurs is one of them. Like we don't ever deal with Spurs. I've said it before. It's very rare that we do. We've got Declan Rice. You know, he, I don't think there's any truth in that. And I think people are just throwing names together. A lot of the players that are being linked to players that have been linked, say, two or three years ago, and are just kind of being recycled because no one knows the state of play of what league we're going to be in you know what league these players that we're targeting are going to be in um you know we don't know anything all that we do know is that financially we are not going to be in a good place after this i mean predictably david sullivan is already in circles close to the club talking about the financial situation that we're in Karen Brady had a meeting with the players um, when they were discussing the percentage cut that they were going to take in relation to this coronavirus. And she laid out to the players the dire situation of the finances, um, so much that we'll have barely any money for players. Now, people were saying, like, what, West Ham more effective than any other club? I think all clubs, you know, I've heard that Bournemouth, for example, are in a bad place. Um, I think all clubs kind of of that sort of stature and with this kind of industries that their owners are in is the factor because you know you tell you talk about West Ham for example you know you got David Sullivan his main financial thing now is you know properties and things like that he they those those markets wouldn't have changed much or anything he wouldn't have been making any money his main's coming from West Ham you look at David Gold and how without means to be too crude and Summers, they make most of their money, not from selling dildos, believe it or not, but through um, and Summers parties. Now, obviously, with social um, distancing in place and isolation and so on, I don't think an Anne Summers party over Zoom or Skype, for example, has the same same effect. So so that, that business will not have been making any money. And uh, obviously, they've been suffering because they don't, like all clubs, you haven't got the ticket prices and the merchandise and all the stuff that happens on a match day and the TV revenue and all that stuff. Now, clubs like Chelsea, where their money is a billionaire in oil, and Manchester City and potentially Newcastle now, they'd probably be okay. But it's the clubs like us that are going to be affected. Now, I don't know. I'm not an expert. I'm not an economist. I'm not a, you know, I don't know the ins and outs of the finances. But all I do know is that we have started to talk about the club have started to talk about us not being in a good place financially. Now, as a result of that, that means that they'll entertain offers for pretty much every player within reason. You know, I think if they could get a decent offer for Anderson, they would take it. Same for Lanzini, same for number of players. I'm hoping that Declan Rice is not one of them, but I'm not certain, you know, if Chelsea come in for him, who knows? The problem is a lot of these players' value has now been slashed because of the situation as well, whereas you could have probably got maybe 80 million for Declan Rice. You wouldn't be able to get that now, I doubt. So it's a very difficult balance. That's the whole situation. There's going to be, you know, whereas we've always heard of um, 
financial fair play being a reason we can't sign players on now. I think it's going to be because of <laughs> the coronavirus. Um, but that said, they're now sort of trying a new strategy, and I've mentioned it on the podcast many times before, so I'm surprised that it's emerged as breaking news in this last week or so, but because I know I've said it numerous times, but we are targeting championship and younger players with potential in other leagues. Um, we've seen the success of Bowen um, in the short time he's been there. Um, obviously they signed Randolph from the championship um, there's been other examples not necessarily at West Ham but if you take like the likes of Madison and um, players like that that have came from the championship and proven that they can play at the top level of the Premier League the, the club have now decided that in the past foreign strategy hasn't worked so they're now going to be looking for um, mainly championship based players you know they can be foreign players but they need to have proven themselves in the English league young players and players in certain leagues now I think the chairman and people associated with our recruitment feel that there's certain leagues that you can buy players in that can usually adjust to England quite well um, so they think of so that's why the French league's been talked about because on the whole French players tend to do quite well and if you look over the history of the Premier League those players you know, like Kante and Cantona I guess and players like that that have all came from France Fiera I know he came from Milan but obviously a French player people like that they've always gone on to be absolute legends of the game so I think there's trust in the French league interestingly Paul Aldridge who used to be managing director at West Ham sort of early 2000s um, he he's now been put in charge of Marseille's strategy to sell mm. players to really? English clubs yeah wow. which is a really, how did he get that job that's right well I know exactly it's a very weird job to be given and he's and apparently he's absolutely hated by the manager <laughs> and Marseille fans as you can imagine because he's basically been brought in to sell their players now Marseille if you look at the squad have got numerous players that are um, highly rated. They've got Torvin, who's a winger that's highly rated. They've got Kamara as a centre back, and they've got um, uh, what's his name, Sanson, the midfielder. They've got Storman, I think. Obviously got Pie. So there's there's players there that could be of interest. Now, David Moyes believes that his career and his success has brought upon bringing up players from lower leagues, bargains and turning them into success. You look at his career at Everton, you know, John Stones, he picked up from Barnsley and then sold to Man City. Tim Cahill, I think, was someone he got from Millwall, ended up being Everton, like Everton legend. Um, there's a few other, I think Leighton Baines possibly might be one of the ones I was thinking of. Jaggy Elka. You know, there's players throughout their time at, um, at Everton that ended up being big players for West Ham and he feels that that is his strength in the market and that's where he's going to operate and personally I actually agree with that strategy personally I've always mm. advocated that and if you listen to our show um, I think it was the one before James uh, Jack Collinson I named about 11 players I think that I would sign from the championship and there's a number of players if you listen back to that show I'm not going to do it now but players I think can adjust to the Premier League and I think would do mm. really really well I called Madison I called Bowen these players you don't have to be a football expert to be able to do that if you look at some of those players they could definitely adjust so I actually actually agree with it obviously Dean Garner is someone that's been playing in the championship and doing really well so I think he'll be someone that comes back next year and has has a part to play too 
Um, Sanchez um, and Zabaleta have both been told that their contracts will not be renewed at the end of the season. I mean, that's not particularly revelational. That's fairly obvious, but it's been sort of pretty much said now to them um, that it's time to go. Uh, there was talk of Matty Cash coming from Knott's Forest. Now, we definitely put in a bid for him in... Um, in January, but with the emergence of Ngakia, the the confidence people have in Johnson, the fact that Fredericks is still there, I'm not sure whether they'll pursue that any further. Um, but that's that's kind of the situation as it is. As I said, anything that is you know speculation in terms of bids. Firstly, if you want to be able to sort out what's true and what's not, at the moment the club are really worried about finances. So if you're reading that West Ham are in the hunt for a 30 million player, then it's probably unlikely that we are because we don't have that money at the moment. We don't know what our financial situation is. Second of all, if you're reading we're linked with any player. It's probably any player of any sorts. We might have watched them, but there's and a lot of the players that I mentioned on the show a few weeks ago we have, but we're not in a position to start bidding for them right now. There's just too many unknowns. So most most news at the moment is put out there because these websites and these papers need hits and they need to make their money. And when mm. there is no news, you create fake news. So at the moment, I would take pretty much everything with a pinch of salt. The only thing that we can talk about as well in terms of players is injuries. And at the moment, we pretty much have a full squad um, to play. Even Jack Wilshire is available to play if he wishes. I know. He'll probably be injured by the time the season starts again. Yeah. But, at the, but at the moment, I don't know if you saw, he's uh, the only two times I seem to have seen him in recent memory is the one time he jumped out the tumble dryer. And the yeah. last time I saw him was he slide tackled his missus in the field. <laughs> um, and that's that's it, really. So it's nice to see he's earning his 100 grand a week. But uh, he's he's actually fit for selection now, apparently. Now, be yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see because I actually think, and I said it at the start of the season, a fit Jack Wilshire is technically probably the best player we've got. Probably. But the thing is, a fit Jack Wilshire doesn't really exist. So it's this is one of those situations. But that's basically the news as it is now. As soon as things change, the players are itching to get back to football. They all like getting incredibly bored, I guess, as you would when your whole life is like spent you know, pretty much playing football all the time. So being cooped up and only being able to do an hour's exercise, it must yeah. be. I mean, I In know they're million in... pound mansions with indoor swimming pools. And <laughs> well, gym. I know, I knew that's the, awful. I know that's the coming line. <laughs> like it is, like you know, there's much better to be them than <coughs> the majority of us. But I guess what will be interesting to see is if the season does resume, which of these footballers have been strict in keeping mm. themselves fit and which of them haven't because effectively by the time we start playing again that will be the biggest gap they've ever had in their careers unless they've been injured so it'll be really interesting to see the professionalism of them yeah yeah no i agree that will be interesting and it's also interesting and um quite welcome news really that we're targeting championship players because you know you reeled off just a, a small number of players that have been a success from the lower leagues and there's a massive long list of them and uh i just think Mate, look, look at the back, england squad most well, of the exactly. england squad have started in the lower leagues it, it, Exactly. But you know what? I just think when you look at some of our transfers and West Ham have always kind of shot for the stars and gone for the big fringe players or gone for out of favour players at massive clubs, either in this country or overseas. I think if we pull it off and we sign them, 
I think there's almost a degree of the player thinking they've had a backward step, but and but they come to West Ham and they're going to get a, a fat paycheck, so who cares, you know? Yeah. Whereas if they're signed from the championship, that's a forward step and that's an opportunity and that that makes them hungry and they want to they want to make the most of that opportunity and make even more money. So I think it's better to be behind looking forward than forward looking behind when you're one of these big players. And I think the time has come now to to start looking at that strategy. I don't have a problem with that at all, just as long as we make the right signings from the championship. I really like the strategy because I I think to myself, like, you know, these players, like exactly what you said, you know, Gerard Bowen's career, for example, before joining West Ham was Hereford and Hull, you know? So joining West Ham is a massive step up from those two teams. So he's already thinking, wow, I've, I've hit the big time here, I'm a Premier League player, and he and he's now got the right attitude. Now, for me, attitude and commitment outweigh any attributes in football of course you've got to have technical ability and natural skill and so on but if you haven't got the right attitude and you don't make it there's so many examples you know I've played with people that are amazing at football but you know just didn't have the attitude you know I know people that have played with the likes of Wayne Bridge at school I know someone that knew Frank Lampard at school I know people that um, knew uh, other players at school and have said that they were fairly average but they had the right attitudes to get get to the top um and it's the same with like Declan Rice you know Declan Rice nearly missed out on being a professional footballer so many times but because he had the right attitude he's now got to the level he's got to whereas Ravel Morrison on the flip side had all the talent in the world that could have gone on to be a world-class player and now he's struggling to get into uh, Middlesbrough's team I think so you know like it's so for me attitude and desire and commitment are such a strong key thing and you get that from championship players now most players like we said in the England team or that are are British or so on that have done well that are doing well in the Premier League have come from the lower leagues most have you know it's very rare that a player comes through Manchester United's academy that's been like a you know been there since he was like 11 a Manchester lad or whatever I know Rashford's the example from them but it's very rare that that happens whereas players work their way up you know like I said the England team you could probably pick a very strong England team of players that have all been in the lower leagues at some point so I think it's a good strategy personally yeah, spot on. I totally agree. Totally agree. Well, thanks for that, mate. It's interesting to uh, have a section this week after a couple yeah. of blanks, understandably, with nothing going on at the moment with the country in lockdown. So that was uh, that was great to hear. Right, OK, don't go anywhere because next is the final part of the show where we answer questions from our collective followers on social media. Switching and saving with GEICO is easy, so you're free to ponder life's big questions. Like, why do people say it goes without saying, and then say it anyway? I mean, if it really goes without saying, you should instead not say it and just give a knowing look? Well, folks, it goes without saying. Uh, what does? The thing that I'm not going to say. Okay. Switch and save with GEICO. It's easier than you think. 
Welcome back to the final part of the show where we read questions from our collective followers on social media and X is going to read them out. Okay, the first one is from um, at Dengi Hammer. Did Bilic sign Pye or was he already a target for the board before they chose Bilic as manager? Um, well, uh, he was oh, always, he'd been, a, he'd been a target before that. Um, he, the, as always, there'd been certain agents involved in in the deal that we trusted, which is basically our transfer strategy in recent years. Um, well, since this, um, Sullivan and Gold came in, um, so he'd always been a target, and he was like put towards Billich. He was said to Billich, "Do you want this player?" And Billich had also known of him, so he sort of approved the transfer. But yeah, it was pretty much a, a done thing before before we even really knew who the manager was. So yeah, so they can take credit for that transfer. Well, I guess they can. Obviously, he turned out to be amazing, but then he ended <laughs> up completely rocking the ship. So, but yeah, that one season he gave us was um was amazing. So yeah, they can. They 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 did scout him before Billich was manager. Yeah. Um, so next question is, um, and this is at Football Typer, and it says, as both X and Dave have met players and potentially managers during their time at West Ham, do they feel this makes them more likely to defend them on social media and at games? Should there be a need to do so? Uh, that's a good question. So is it? Is it around us being potentially biased towards certain people? I guess so. Yeah, we, if we have we like a relationship. Yeah, like yeah, if we have like a relationship to, with a, I guess a player or someone that we've met, would that potentially affect our judgment on them as a if they were doing the right thing? Type, I guess. Uh, yeah. I'd say for me personally, I'd say yes and no. Um, yeah. Yes, because you know if if someone is seen negatively on a personal level and I've had the opportunity to get to know them and see it very differently then I would always argue that person's corner I mean a prime example is Harry Redknapp you know West Ham fans generally speaking don't like him yet for me he's up there with one of the best pros I've ever dealt with Uh, just very charismatic uh, overly helpful to us pleasure Mm. to deal with um, and he was great, and I've never seen anything other than than just a man who's just a pleasure to deal with. So, you know, from that perspective, on a personal level, I, it would certainly make a difference. But, you know, when we're talking about matters on the pitch, I mean, again, another example is, you know, Jack Sullivan is someone I get on very well with. Um, but it hasn't stopped me in recent times saying that the, the time has come for the ball to move on. Yeah. So yeah, it guess... swings and roundabouts, really. Yeah, that's the best example that you can use, definitely. I mean, I don't really speak to Jack anymore, so I can't really say that myself. But obviously, you do. And um, and like you say, you have called them out. and You've said lots of things about the board recently. Yeah, he's someone that you, I guess, would consider a mate. So, yeah, that's that's the example. I mean, I think for me, I, I agree with what you're saying. Like, obviously, if you've met someone and you know them quite well and... Um, like for one thing I can think of is that the Matty Everington and that dive. Do you remember he made that dive against yeah. us for Stoke? Now lots of West Ham fans have called him out about that over the years, and I've always tried to defend him because yes, like 
I know him and I get on very well with him, but also because I've heard it from his point of view. And he is right. When you're in a competitive game and you're, you know, trying to get yourself to a career, like a cup final or whatever, and you're not actually a West Ham fan at the time, remember that. Like, it's not like he grew up like me and you supporting the club and then did that. He'd had like, mm. what, four years there. I mean, don't get me wrong, he's a massive West Ham fan now. I mean, if anything, he's one of the most passionate West Ham fans I know. But um, he wasn't, I guess, at the time so much and obviously had a lot of issues going on in his life at that time as well. Um, and so for him, I always defend him on that. And that's probably because I know him and I like the fella and I know his backstory to it, but also because I think it is right to defend it. I think I would defend the person if I didn't really know the person as such, because I can see why they would do that. And like, you know, there's certain players that unfortunately have the opposite effect as well because you'll meet certain players that you want to get on with and want to really like and then they'll turn out to be I know a bit of a prick say and that does in a way like make it harder to then want to say something nice about that person so it it can it's like life it can affect you definitely like you're much you know if you how you get on with someone is obviously going to affect your opinion but I'd like to think if there was something very sort of obvious um, that needed to be said. I would say it. Like you know, I've I've met um, Slavin Bilic many times, um, uh, and I think I've always said uh, at the time when he, he ha- should go. I think I said he should go. He should go as um, manager because he's you know he's not not doing it. You know, get on very well with Julian, but, but love Julian, absolute diamond geezer. But at times you and I questioned what his role was at the club and so on. That's so right. yeah, yeah, so I mean like yeah. you know we have. We have asked a number of questions that would that would be what fans would ask. But yeah, I just think you can you can save a bit more credibility when you actually know them, perhaps. But it's a good yeah. question. Like you said, the Harry Redknapp's a great example because I, I must admit, <coughs> before we'd had any dealings with him, my opinion on him was a bit mixed. I mean, in terms of I just take it from a football perspective, he his time as manager was my favourite time as being a West Ham fan. So it was always mm. going to be that. But then when he went to Tottenham and, you know, he was like, he's a bit, he came across as a bit of a, a knob at times in interviews mm. and stuff. I did kind of think, yeah, I'm not sure on this guy. And obviously with all the Billy Bond stories as well. But then as we, as you said, we dealt with him and he was absolute diamond fella. Like, I mean, he did so, like you said so much for us. He was going above and beyond. That does make you think like, actually, maybe he's actually a decent bloke and, you know, well, not uh, yeah, and not only that. I'm not being funny. He's he, he's he's had his own reality series. He he was the king of the jungle from the nation's vote. Everyone in football has got nothing but good things to say about him. Mm. So you know, it, it's it's not just us. If you if you get the opportunity to speak to Harry and be in his company, you know, he's achieved so much in his career. He doesn't have to impress me. He hasn't got to say the right things to me. He could be an absolute arsehole to me. I could tell everyone I know, and it all it will not tarnish his reputation in, in any way possible. So the fact that he was so good to deal with is purely down to the fact that he was such a nice fella, in my yeah. opinion. But, I mean, another example you give there is Declan Rice. Now, Declan isn't a friend of mine. Um, we've swapped messages, and we, we still do from time to time, but we don't know each other. We don't spend uh, time with each other. But we've had him on the podcast. I love him as a person, you know, like like every West Ham fan out there. You don't have to know him to love Declan Rice, how he comes across on camera and what he does on the pitch. But then that didn't stop me kind of getting into a bit of a, I suppose, fracas with him on Twitter, you know. And, and I didn't sort of put my 
my personal feelings ahead of my feelings for West Ham at that time. So yeah. I think it's 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 a good question, quite difficult to answer, but hopefully between us we've we've explained where we stand on that. Yeah, I think so. Like I said, I would definitely call it out. Like you know, as you know, I well, I've got a lot of time for like you like you said, Deccan or some of the younger players I know. And there's some players in the first team that I know. Obviously, I know a few coaches, people like that. But if I thought that something was wrong that they'd done and that they were sort of a detriment to West Ham, then I would definitely say yeah, definitely because yeah. where yeah. we have this opinion show, if your opinions are formed biasly then people won't respect your opinions and also I was a fan of this club way before I was a friend or associate of these people so you know like West Ham is my friend so to speak it's my life in some ways so I would mm. um I would definitely say it if I felt it needed saying definitely Draper 180 <clears throat> hi X and Dave hope both you and your families are keeping safe little question for you in the last 10 years who would you say has been our best central midfield partnership? Cheers, guys. Keep up the good work. Oh, central midfield partnership. Bloody hell. Um, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because I was trying to go for it. And like we like we said earlier on the show, I was thinking along the lines of you sort of Butler Bishop or Butler Martin Allen. Butler yeah, Martin Allen, the last Bishop. 10 years is... Uh, oh, you said 10 years, didn't they? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. no, no one Kiati have got to be out there, aren't they, for, for their their time at their peak during that season would, would that be fair yeah i think that's a good shout i think when we had um parker and noble well, that would probably just be out of the 10 years would it all within it slightly well, i don't know that that yeah. was a good one wasn't it yeah I that think, was i think uh, i mean noble's got to be in any combination because noble's been uh yeah. playing for the last 10 years so True. Um, True. like noble Declan rice you know if you want to think about how good Declan is well, then, you, then I guess you could say that is a good partnership as well. It's tricky, though. But they don't seem to, the partnerships don't come as readily. Perhaps as like a centre-back partnership or a forward partnership to me. It's not uh-huh. as easy to say. And I think that's probably because, like you said, certainly in the last 10 years, Noble's been in every every one of those teams or partnerships. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. But I, I go back to that final season at the Bowling and Kuyati was a completely different player. And for me, that was probably Mark's best season at the club, in my yeah. opinion. So yeah. the two of them playing together in the centre of the park at that time, I think you'd do well to beat that. And obviously, yeah. you know, Scotty Parker, don't get me wrong, was outstanding for West Ham. But, you know, we still got relegated with him through no fault yeah. of his own. But when you look at what we achieved with Noble and Kiati in that final season and the memories that came with it, I think that might edge it for me. Unless I'm missing a, a, an obvious partnership somewhere, that, that gets my vote. Well, I think I agree with you, but you know, <clears throat> randomly, if someone that I thought of for maybe an underrated or like the the first section that we were talking about um, is Alex Song. Like he kind of came to West Ham, didn't he? he? Had two loan spells. I think the second one maybe clouded the first one a little bit, but that first loan spell, he was unbelievable in some games. I think yeah. it was like West Ham possibly Manchester City maybe when they had like this like you know they're highly paid well sought after midfielders of like Torre and Silva and whoever else had been playing for them at that time I remember him absolutely bossing that game um yeah. so and like no one really talks about how good he was like for for that period but anyway um next question is at 
Timmy J underscore 71. Do you think the likes of Newcastle, Sheffield United, Everton and even Leeds um, are guessing European football before us? And if we ever do, do you think it'll be a one-off season or will we continue to be a top seven side for more than a season? Yeah, it always seems to be so up and down with West Ham, doesn't it? You know, it's been such a long time since we've been able to consistently enjoy success, really, isn't it? Um, yeah. You don't seem to be able to enjoy it for that long. But, yeah, I mean, you'd like to think so. No one's got a crystal ball. And with football now being more competitive than it ever has been, the Premier League being more unpredictable than it ever has been, and, you know, with there being more money involved than there ever has been, it's made it more difficult than, than it ever has been. Yeah. Um, oh, God. I, the honest answer is I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I certainly don't think that we've made strides towards European football since leaving Upton Park. That's Definitely for sure. Not. We're fighting relegation. Uh, <laughs> we, exactly. And in light of what you were saying about our financial situation, yeah. It seems like we've taken a bit of a backward step, really. So you can only hope, can't you? Well, I, I think we are further away now than we were at Upton Park, if I'm honest with you. Because, I mean, you look like, like we've talked about. Look at that final season. You know, we were touching Champions League with a few games to, to go. Yeah. You know, we're nowhere near that now. You know, in a relegation scrap. And I can't see it getting much better soon. And what's worrying as well is this <clears throat> takeover bid for Newcastle. I mean, potentially, if that happens, they are going to be one of the richest club in, in the league, um, if not the richest club in the league. So that takes out another club that were kind of roughly on the same level as us so who are going to be much better than us you know Wolves have now done that with their backing and their successful management and recruitment and so on Leicester are at a different stage to us now um you know won the league recently and have managed to sort of obviously not reach quite that standard but still maintain a decent level Everton have got a a world-class manager who I couldn't believe West Ham fans didn't want and I still can't Mm -hmm. I think he'll take them on to to uh to a better place and I just think there's so many teams now. I, I, unless we really recruit well in the summer I don't know if it's going to be much better next year I don't know no I agree and you know uh, and I know this sounds harsh but I think that recruitment should be led by a different manager yeah see I, I know what you mean and I like you obviously I was really disappointed when we appointed him really really was but I am kind of interested to see how this recruitment from championship players goes because I have that's something that I've always said for a long time now I think we should do and we are going to it seems start doing that and David Moyes does have a decent record at getting good players from the championship you know he's also overseen the signing of um, Bowen who who was good see overseas Hugo but I think there was a bit more to it than than just signing him. Um, so uh, Palmy is quite curious to see what he what he'll actually do um, with recruitment. But yeah, mm. I mean, given the choice of him or you know someone else, Postino maybe, um, it's a no brainer. Mm. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, and I, I, you know, I, I think that you know, fair's fair. I don't want to be too harsh on him. I really don't. But I just can't see him, regardless of of how good his recruitment is, being the man that takes us to challenge for a, a, a top four, top five, top six place. I think you, you need a world-class manager to do that, in my opinion. Well, we certainly yeah. do. Um, yeah, definitely. Right, so next question is at Andy J. Phipps. Are the club concerned about the amount of injuries that Nathan Holland is picking up? Every time he has a char- his chance to play comes, he seems to get injured. 
Mm, they should be X, shouldn't they? Well, I think so, yeah. I think the thing with Nathan, like, as people would know, I massively rate him. He's your sort of your old school winger, takes people on quick, skillful, got a decent shot on him, can cut inside and so on. So I think he's got all the makings of being a very, very top player. His only thing that concerns me is his physique. Um, he's very skinny. Um, he's very kind of lightweight. You know, I've always said, I think he needs to bulk up a bit more. Um, he's now obviously going to be quite significantly behind Dean Garner when about a year or so ago, he was significantly ahead. So, you know, his, his, his luck has been harsh. You know, he's done his hamstring a couple of times. That is harsh, particularly if he's still kind of growing and stuff. Because, you know, I know he's like 22, 23, so he probably isn't. But still at a young age, you know, your body's still kind of getting to what its final shape's going to be, so to speak. Um, So, you know, his injuries have been unlucky. But I think it would be a concern. I think he's got to, got to get a steady season under him where he doesn't get injured to kind of prove they can, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's a bit of a catch-22 with Nathan, though, because I, I agree, I think he does look quite lightweight, but then that's probably quite advantageous to his pace. I think if he bulks yeah. up, is he going to lose some of that pace, which is one of his key attributes? Possibly. I mean, he could do, but I think the problem is in the Premier League, pace is such a almost standard attribute that mm. it's like that you need to be able like Antonio you know Antonio can do it and he can take people on but he's also got the strength to power past people um whereas if you like in the Premier mm. League now you come up against any kind of fullback um unless they play for West Ham um or, or like, apart, <laughs> apart from Fredericks obviously um they've got they've got um very little um They've got a lot of pace usually. I mean, you look at all the top fullbacks in the league now, you know, like um, Trent Arnold at Liverpool's got pace. Wan-Bissaka's got pace. Carl Walker's got pace. Um, you know, I'm going through mm. right backs off the top of my head, but, um, you know, every single one of them's got pace. So I think you've got to have a bit more than just pace now to stand out. Um, so I think mm. whilst he is a, it's a great attribute for him, I do worry that, you know, he he just get knocked off the ball rather than, than if he doesn't bulk up for the Premier League. And that's quite harsh because don't get me wrong, I absolutely really, really rate the fella. I really do. He's a really lovely bloke, a really down to earth. Again, someone with interviews. So this proves our point on the previous question. But I think it, I think it would be in his best interest just to bulk up a bit. And then I think he'll show what a player he is. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so this is from at... Yes, like the fish. That's quite similar to the previous question, actually, about um, whether whether we're losing ground on certain clubs. I think we've we've kind of covered that. Um, mm. This is from Sam underscore Kojak. What's the latest on the potential director of football coming in and a shake up of the scouting department? Um, well, I think at the moment, it, like it's like with transfers, everything's kind of on hold at the moment. I think. The chairman had their experiences of Husilios and obviously that didn't go as well as well, they would have hoped. And I think that's probably put a bit of a, a doubt in their head about having one and also another kind of thought in David Sullivan's head, perhaps that he knows best. Moyes obviously likes to recruit as well. Um so at the moment, I think it's kind of on hold. I mean, there was talk of uh, Leicester's one coming, and I think there's a few potential names that they'd like to bring in, but I don't think they're going to rush it and just have 
any old body. There's also a couple of people in the academy as well that could almost step up and do the role. So at the moment, I just think there's so many uncertainties at West Ham that it's very hard to actually know what the strategy is because I don't think the chairman themselves know what the strategy is because they don't know, like I said, what league they're going to be in, what players they're going to be looking at, what players they're going to need, what positions they're going to need because they don't know who they've sold and there's just too many uncertainties to really know these things at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is uh, at PKDODMead. Um, X, I always thought Leroy Rossini was a much underrated player. Do you think, had he not been the same time as the likes of Bishop and McAvenny, etc., he would have got a more regular first team place? Yeah, I liked him. Leroy. Yeah. I liked him. Yeah. Bit of a bit of a fan's favourite actually, wasn't he? He was oh, uh he was yeah, loved definitely. by West Ham fans and yeah, he again he had a lot of good attributes, didn't he? He was big, he was strong, he was good in the air, he you know, he knew where the goal was, yeah, he was quick. Um yeah, I liked him. I liked him a lot. Yeah, I feel, see, Leroy was almost just slightly before my time. I mean, obviously, I've watched videos on him, and I remember growing up, my dad would come home from uh, West Ham, and he would sing things like Leroy, 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 like that. So he obviously was quite racist by the fans, because not many people know my dad, but you do. He's not the most animated in terms of uh, in terms of football chants and stuff so the fact that he mm. was singing that he must have been a, a fairly decent player and like I say I've seen clips and I think he's he's looks like he had a lot of potential and maybe maybe he is one of those players that has been perhaps overshadowed o- over time it's like I was thinking about our conversation last night and I was thinking about Mike Small now loads of people talk about him as if he was like a terrible forward like they put him in like a bracket as a useless but when we first got promoted to the Premier League in like that 1992 era, he scored a load of goals for us. He was like almost a top scorer up until yeah. Christmas or something. Yeah, yeah, I it's know. Fu- yeah, it's a fair funny, point, isn't actually. It? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's funny how like certain certain players just have that kind of like affinity with the fans, and other, and certain don't do that. It's weird how it kind of happens. Yeah, it is strange. I'm quite surprised, really, that um, at some point. Uh, Leroy's son didn't play for West Ham. Yeah, yeah. I think he might have um, actually, he might actually be a pundit now or a coach or something. He's, uh, I think he's actually, this shows how old we're getting, mate. I think he's actually done his career and retired now. Yeah, so, it's amazing. I've seen him yeah. do some punditry work on some of the championship games. But when you look, he played for Fulham, didn't he? And I think yeah. he played for Hull and he, he might have played for some other clubs. But I don't think he was a bad player, really. And what with Leroy's connection with the club and him being a London boy. Um, surprised yeah. that we, we, that never happened, but um, I don't know. Interesting. With Leroy, interestingly, it was one of, like one of the players. I don't know if you remember about a year or so ago, he reached out to um, us to do an event with us. Um, yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. I remember that. And he's another one that we were a little bit like. Was he popular enough with the fans for us to be able to sell enough tickets? Because obviously we yeah. have to sell a certain amount of tickets to break even. Um, mm. And unfortunately, <laughs> in the past. We haven't actually managed to do that with certain players, and we and it's really hard to predict which players are going to sell well, which aren't, because obviously uh, there's some very obvious ones. Like if you get Julian Dixon, you know that's going to sell out. But there's certain yeah. ones that we thought are going to sell out that haven't done that well, and then others that we thought were a bit of a risk that have done really well. So it's really hard to predict sometimes with West Ham fans, and mm. obviously with the way the world's gone recently, having had two events cancelled as well, um, has really 
bagging us to say the least. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, more to come on that on another show, I guess. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's um, it's strange how you can't really predict these things. I mean, like like I said, Christian Daly, that's we smashed that one, didn't we? Yeah, about 300 people turn up the East End Working Men's Club for that, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. And then I think he got more than like Tony Gale. Um, possibly yeah. he got more than Alvin Martin. Got more than probably a number of other centre backs that you would have thought probably did um, had a better career for us. But so yeah. I also think sometimes it's to do with the generation as well. I think where a lot of what we advertise on social media is probably a younger generation, so they're more likely to see players that they've perhaps seen play than those that they haven't. I mean that could be a factor, but it's yeah, you know, it's but, tricky because I was going to say a case in point to what you're saying as well is that you know Christian Daly got 300. Um, all right, granted, the um, event was in its infancy at the time, but Stuart Slater got 35. I know. It's absolutely ridiculous, wasn't it? I mean, that was that was a bit awkward. Think, <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> like a little intimate setting with Stuart Slater and stuff. <laughs> we, should have put, we, we really should have prepared for that more and put cardboard cutouts of the fans all around yeah, the room. Yeah, like what, little mannequins Arsenal, up there. Do you remember when they developed yeah. Tybury or something? <laughs> you know that scene in Home Alone where he creates a cardboard cutout yeah. and attaches yeah. strings to the hands of dancers with them? That's <laughs> right, yeah. Points. <laughs> That's when I got told off as well by Stuart Slater. <laughs> so it all went wrong that event. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't our finest hour, was it? No, I mean, he was one of my favourite players, Graham. Because my first season was the yeah. 1991 um, when we got to the Cup semi-final. And, and obviously the round before that against Everton, he'd absolutely destroyed them. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know, he was, he was fantastic. Him and Kevin Keane were such exciting wingers to watch. I thought yeah. they were great. great yeah, players. me too. I mean, sure, Slater, judging on our events, this might be another contender for you under, what, yeah. undervalued. Yeah, you know, I mean, he didn't play in the Premier League for us, did he? Uh, no, he wouldn't have been in that era, no. But he was absolutely amazing, wasn't he? On his day, I thought he was a brilliant player. I, I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah was. Right, um, next question is from Corey Kemp. Um, is Moyes' approach towards transfers in the French League and the Championships just him wigging a strategy, or is there a scouting system and recruitment strategy from the club behind this? Um, well, as I sort of said earlier, I think there is a strategy. I think it's almost because every every other strategy has failed rather than a than a necessarily um, one that they've strategically came to. Because you know, no matter what people say, we have spent forty five million pounds on a forward, and we've spent forty million on a winger in Anderson and Hilaire. So we spent £85 million on those two players. I question, and I know I'll get stick for this, I question whether that £85 million could have been spent elsewhere and that those players would have had as much, if not more of an impact for a lot less money. So, you know, you've got that guy at QPR, Ezzy, I think his name is, or something like that. He looks amazing as a winger. He wouldn't, he won't cost you 40 million. You know, there's four words. There's a guy at um, Huddersfield. Uh, I've forgotten his surname now. Grant, I think I recommended him in the players um, a couple of shows ago. He looks like a really good forward. Um, you know, I, I, you, that's why I think this strategy is one that's worth trying. Yeah, and also, you know, I don't think you can be winging it when you're looking at that type of strategy because that type of strategy requires a lot of skill and a lot of risk. You know, yeah. it, 
any football manager can say, well, I tell you, let's go to the top clubs in Europe, let's see you ain't getting a game, and let's sign him for £40, £50 million. Pound. And if it doesn't work out, then we can just say, well, we signed him from Inter Milan, we signed him from Dortmund, whoever it might have been, we took an educated gamble, it didn't pay off. Can you blame me for that? But th- that, for me, is more winging it than going to the Championship, putting a real educated eye on a player and, and taking the punt and saying, I think he could make it at the top level, and then yeah. pulling it off. So yeah. if anything... It's a strategy that makes sense, um, and it's one that could uh, pay off more for reasons we've mentioned. The players are going to be more motivated to make it work. The the transfer fees you're going to pay are going to be less. So the, if they are a success, you're going to get a, a bigger return on investment because if they do want to move on from West Ham after making a success, you might make 10, 20, 30 million pound on them. Um, and I think it's uh, it's it's a uh, it's a more difficult strategy, but one that that could really pay dividends. I think. Definitely. And the way I see it is as well, if you're a player, take Yarmolenko, for example, right? He'd never played in England before. Um, you know, he played in what Ukraine and in Germany and places like that. So he'd complete different lifestyles. He came to England at what, 29, maybe. Um, so almost like, you know, like uh, his career was sort of maybe on the downward because Dortmund to West Ham, you know, it's, you'd like to think West Ham are as big as Dortmund, but we're not really, are we? I mean, they're like regular Champions League club, regular winners of um, the German League alongside Munich and stuff. Stuff. So, you know, they are. So he's come to us. He speaks a language which he doesn't speak, a country which is different culture to where he's used to. Um, it's a massive change in the whole of your like life and the whole of your the way you go about things and your culture and your everything. Whereas that guy at QPR, for example, or Gerard Bowen, you know, Gerard Bowen moving from Hull to West Ham is not a massive difference, is it really? Like in terms of anything and also the standards between Hull and West Ham. Yes, we are better than Hull. We are a much better team than Hull. Well, I say much better. We should be a much better team than Hull, but it's only a difference of like what? 10 league places so it's not like a massive massive huge jump from that uh, our standard where it's going from a completely different league culture uh, you know work ethic style of football is so such a big change and that's why I think it is easier to make the step up from the championship to the Premier League than it is from a foreign league to the Premier League yeah, it's an interesting discussion that because, uh, you know, I do think they're two completely different leagues. You know, whilst I think there's it, an argument for both ways, because whilst you're right, it is a cultural difference in the Bundesliga, for example, it is still a very high level and I think a, a higher level than the championship. So I think you're playing you're playing a higher standard of football that you'd be used to and players that stand out in that division I think could potentially stand have more of a chance of standing out in the Premier League because I think in the Championship, you know, for example, people are raving about Grady Dean Garner and can't wait for him to come back. I'm still sceptical because yeah. he's proved himself in the Championship. I don't think that by any way or means gives him a right to, to prove himself in the Premiership now I'm, I'm, because I think they're two completely different leagues. But what I do think you'll have from the Championship is that if you can pluck a player from there with quality and ability that does have potential to make it in the Premier League. One thing I think they'll have in abundance more than a player from a top league around Europe is a hunger and desire to play at the top level as opposed to players that already are. 
Yeah, I mean, if you, I agree with what you're saying there, but if you look at, like, say, the 1980 West Ham Cup final team, yeah, every single one of those players was um, English, bar Ray Stewart, who was Scottish, yeah? Now, in this modern era where you buy players from abroad and stuff, there's no way some of those players would have any, been anywhere near West Ham's team, you know? Certainly, you know, obviously, Brooklyn would have been and Bonds and the sort of the standout players, but you look at maybe the likes of, um, what, let's say Jeff Pike then. I mean, I know he was underrated and stuff, but Jeff Pike, would he have ever played that many times for West Ham in this modern era? Um, would, like, you know, the sort of the less glamorous people of that side? Because people wouldn't sort of, in this era now, they'd think, well, who is this guy? You know, he's, he's done nothing, you know? Um, whereas actually, those players at the level of what that West Ham are consistently are, are more useful than this foreign flair player that might turn it on every now and again. You want someone that can consistently graft and put in a good solid performance for you, I think, because you know, obviously if West Ham were a top six club, it's different. You want to bring in the top players across the world. But really, is there that much of a difference between West Ham and the likes of West Brom and um, Leeds and all those teams that are pushing at the top of the championship? Is there that much of a difference? The difference is, yes, we have a bigger stadium and we have the likes of Anderson and Lanzini, but is that better than what they've got? And you look at Sheffield United, Sheffield United being the point in in proven that they came up, none of their players are stars, none of them are players that have been brought I guess from abroad for top money and they're challenging for Europa League spaces. You know, Leicester, they won the league buying players that were not, you know, people like Vardy from non-league and stuff. Um, You know, Mahrez was like, quarter of a million or something Kante you know they picked up all these sort of bargains around and then turned them into quality players and I think if you're the level of West Ham that is a better strategy yeah it is yeah no I agree I mean it comes back to the the age-old argument of mentality and ability doesn't it I mean if we make the comparison of us and Leeds for example you know whilst there are you know a few places that separate us in terms of leagues I still think there's a big difference in standard but if you look at our our squad on paper, we should absolutely annihilate Leeds' squad on paper. But the trouble is we don't have enough fight in those players to go with the ability. We've got too many fucking show ponies. And that's the problem. I mean, you you said then that unless you're a top six six club, in which case you would go to, to Europe's top talent, well, the reason it becomes good enough for those top six clubs to go for is that they're then looking for the, the, the top European players that don't just have the ability, they have the mindset as well. Yeah. And that's when you can afford that combination because then it's a dead cert they're going to come in and do well nine times out of ten. Um, yeah. But this is where recruitment is, is harder for clubs like West Ham than it is for the top four clubs. Yeah. Um, and, that, 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 and that's the thing. It's, it's about finding that, that balance. And that's the most, for me, it's the most difficult thing in football is recruitment, getting the oh, right yeah. players. Definitely. And like, that's why sometimes, as I've always maintained, you're better off having a technically not as good player, but with the right attitude, the right heart, the right fight, than a person that's technically might be better, but doesn't offer that. You know, that's why I have a bit of an issue with Alain, because I don't dispute that he is a decent player, but... Mm. 
I feel like he could offer more in terms of his commitment and in terms of his the way he puts himself about and the way like, I just feel like he's not he's never quite full out like yes he's a much better player than Andy Carroll and yes I would give him the choice I would think I'd rather Alaire but on a day but on a game basis if Carroll stayed fit Carroll worked a lot harder than Alaire didn't I know they're different players I know people will say that but it doesn't matter what type of player you are whether you're a big target man or a fox in the box or whatever you can work hard and try your very hardest in whatever position you are in and I don't feel like he does that and then that comes down to like mentality and desire and heart and for me that's got to be the biggest strategy I mean when we had Dave Hunt on the show and by the way I haven't told you but he's offered to do another show for us soon which will be really interesting because obviously he's an agent now so I'd be interested mm. to hear his take on things but he's he's he said on our show that the, the characteristics as in the mental attributes of a player is the thing he looks except first uh, obviously alongside ability well that's right and you said it yourself look at Sheffield United look what they achieved in comparison to what we achieved look at what Leicester achieved when they won the league look yeah. at what Burnley achieved you know <coughs> exactly. they, they, they got a European qualification spot I think you know yeah. bloody hell alright maybe with the exception of Leicester you take our squad on paper any day of the week over Sheffield United and Burnley oh, yeah, and, 100% and, 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 and I think Wolves have got a good side, actually. But I think you, you could argue, potentially, our starting 11's better than theirs. I'm not saying yeah. it definitely is, but you could argue it. So it does. Uh, attitude over ability, any day of the week, it's, it's proven. From Stephen McCarthy 9. And he said, uh, with the virus disruption to football in general, does the club have a plan for the transfer window, expiring deals, or is it a case of waiting for the EFL and higher-ups to make a decision? Stay safe and healthy, and thank you very much for keeping the podcast going. Yeah, it's another one for you, mate, I think. Um, I think at the moment, as I said, I mean, the strategy is really difficult because no one knows again. I think the plan from the Football League, by the sounds of it, is to try and resume, resume the season in June. Um, we're all closed, like behind closed doors. Um, and then... You know, you still get your TV money and stuff. Obviously, you don't get your match revenue, but you get your TV stuff. <laughs> but until we know what's happening with that, until we know where, what league we're going to be in, how badly our finances have been affected, how badly other teams' finances have been affected, it's just so up in the air at the moment. It's like my job. I mean, my job at the moment, <laughs> funnily, I'm going to be doing interviews when I get off the phone um, to you, and I don't even know what I'm meant to be wearing. <laughs> like, you know, I'm, I'm hosting interviews. Do I sit well, there in I my thought- I thought Burger King had a standard uniform. <laughs> yeah, well, do I sit in my Burger King outfit at the table in my conservatory doing these interviews with my cap on? Or do, or do, or do I just wear casual clothes, you know? How, who am I recruiting? When do I have to recruit them by? When are we reopening? When am I paying them from? You know, even in my job, I don't actually know what I'm doing in terms of recruitment, really. You know, I know that next in the next few months I'm going to have vacancies that I need to fill. But then, how, how? But I don't know when. But I don't know when my work's going to start up again. So it's like it's the same thing. Like it's just so uncertain at the moment. You know, at the moment we can't travel abroad. You know, so how how are you going to go and scout players? You know, if they're in a different league, how are you going to go and scout them? How are you going to go and have like you, you're not going to have any face to face meetings? It's going to have to all be done via FaceTime and so on. So it's just such a surreal situation at the moment that throws any kind of strategy or normality out the window yeah Very true. Um, 
I liked your tweet that you did the other day, like, you know, where you said, if anyone wants to talk to mm. you, then do so, because some people do really struggle. And, like, I, I've i been having, like, it. I saw a bloke on there who I kind of know, and I, he was having a tough time, so I reached out to him and stuff, and, you know, you've done the same, and people do struggle. And so, you know, it is hard. It is hard at the moment. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, it's, yeah, hopefully we'll be out of it soon, that's what oh. I would say. Do you know, it is a it is a serious topic and, you know, not just the people that we've spoken to, but, you know, we're fortunate enough in our lives where, you know, we've got our families, we've got our wife, our kids, things to entertain ourselves and stuff like that. But, you know, there are people that I don't have that, that are on their own and only have themselves and their faults. And yeah. secondly, you know, there are people with anxiety out there that are genuinely panicked by what's happening with the world today. And there, there yeah. are people that have taken their own lives that don't really get reported much. But there are there are suicides over the sheer panic about what what lies ahead for them. So it's a real serious, serious issue and, and topic. And, you know, we both stand by what we've said on social media. If anyone wants to reach out to us, you know, and that goes for anyone, but especially if they're our own and they're West Ham and they, they just want to talk to someone and just, um, you know, have a bit of escapism for however long, then, then they're welcome to. We'd encourage that anytime. Oh, yeah, 100%. I would. I definitely encourage that. I don't want people to just say it so they can try and get transfer news out of me. But uh, <laughs> if people, if some people do, do try that. But if it's people that are genuinely, like, you know, that are genuinely in a bad way and, like, things like that, then, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Like, you know, I... I would reach out to anyone. It's a tough place when you're lonely and anxious and things like that. And, you know, I think mental health is such a, a delicate subject still, which it shouldn't be, but it is. And I, and I would reach out to anyone as well because, like you say, we're lucky. You know, we've got quite a solid situation, um, but there's others that aren't in that position. So, yeah, mm. then definitely, then I, I would extend that offer too. Um, at UK underscore WHUFC do you think there should be a Premier League Netflix for £10 a month with every single game broadcast live on it including 3pm kickoffs surely the Premier League would make more money themselves with this too they can't than they can off BT and Sky 1 million percent 1 million percent I don't I don't understand a counter argument to that you know, because Netflix is absolutely humongous. I think DAZN with boxing have really taken off as well, showing all of their fights. And, and that's a similar price point. And I think without a shadow of a doubt, you know, some people can't get to West Ham. You know, how many West Ham fans are there in, well, I'd say the world, but even this country? You know, London Stadium can only hold 55, 60,000. So there's a hell of a lot of passionate West Ham fans that love the club that just don't get to see the games. Yeah. So would they pay £10 a month? Of course they would. I think it's a brilliant idea. And, and um, you know, and it would also um, prevent a lot of these dodgy streams that everyone seems to have the ump about in authority. Yeah, I mean, I would 100% be up for that. I mean, imagine that. I mean, I remember when I was a kid growing up supporting West Ham, you were lucky if you got like a minute on match of the day each week. Yeah, you know, and if you're exactly. in the championship, you, you had absolutely nothing pretty much. So you, you could you could only get your football from the radio or from reading a newspaper. And, like, and now even the amount of accessibility there is to your club um, is like a million times better than we were a kid. But if you had that, you could be like, you could see 
every game of your team for the rest of your life, pretty much. Um, and I am, um, I mean, the championship do it, don't they? The championship, if it's a midweek game on Sky, every championship game shown on Sky by pressing the red button. I think, I think I've yeah. got that right. And like, so they're starting to do it a little bit like that. I would just, I would love it if, if that was the case. You know, it wouldn't stop me going to away games because you could never like re- replace the passion and the, and the fun of an away day. Um, but cool. certain games, you know, like Newcastle on a midweek day, for example, which I just literally couldn't get to because of, um, you know, work and so on. I, I would, um, I would love to be able to just come in and watch it on a proper stream that doesn't buffer all the time and, you know, English commentary and so on. Like, so yeah, hundred percent. I'd be behind that. I mean, you would even, you would even need, I think a big company with a lot of financial clout to compete with the likes of Sky and BT to, to get the, the licensing for this. So maybe like a Netflix uh, extended uh, an arm of, of their offering purely for football. Or, worst case, you'd have a startup company that was massively investor-backed, like a yeah. Dazone, uh, yeah. where worst case scenario, if they couldn't compete financially for the live football, worst case, they ran an on-demand service for these games that was shown maybe an hour after full-time. Yeah, exactly. Right, last one now. Um, Simon Wellington, the Iron Duke 4. Hi, lads. Name your favourite pre-match evening event guests and funniest guests today. For me, Collinson and Gabadon and Mad Dog, respectively. Cheers for keeping us entertained. Roll on the next event. Yes, that's a really good question now. I mean, we've had so many. I mean, first and foremost, even as much as we joke about it, even when you take into consideration the Stuart Slater event, we've never had a bad event. No, ever. We've never, no. ever had a bad event. And uh, unbelievably and thankfully, we've never had any disasters in the sense that a guest hasn't turned up. Yeah. Uh, although Marlon Harewood told me he wasn't going to turn up 10 minutes before he was due for a wind up and I'd nearly had a fucking heart attack. But that's a different story. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know. There was there's so many good ones for so many different reasons. I mean, Alvin Martin, for me, I think was possibly the third or fourth one we'd done. And, and he was just like a stand up comedian. I couldn't believe yeah. it. He stood up off his chair, just took over the floor and just had everyone in, in absolute pieces. You know, Stevie Lomas. How deceptively yeah. funny is Steve Lomas? You know, yeah. he was brilliant. Uh, John yeah. Moncur, as you would yeah. expect, was hilarious. And I think the best events are the funniest ones with the funniest yeah. guests. The ones yeah. that have a sense of humour. But um, oh, there's, there's so many to mention. There really are, you know. Yeah, I mean, there's some, it's the, everyone, every single player has offered something, hasn't it? You know, oh, like yeah. you've, you've gone from like Dean Ashton, who talking about, you know, how he had to deal with life after football at such an early age. You know, that was interesting. You know, Matty Everington with his um, uh, issues, you know, like James Collins was brilliant. You know, like I, I really don't think, like you said, we've had a bad one. And thankfully that, that that's the case. You know, like uh, Matt Jarvis was, you know, I would never really thought much of him in terms of a personality in football. But even his was, you know, really good and interesting and stuff. So, yeah, we've been lucky. Yeah, it was. You do, and that's the beauty of having a, a mixture of personalities at these events is you get something different from it. I mean, you're, you're quite right in what you said there. And just to add to that, in more recent times, you know, Johnny Artson, when he when he came to an event, I mean, yeah. you know, the time he spent talking about testicular cancer to yeah. a room full of pissed up West Ham fans and he had everyone's attention in terms of how to check yourself, where to check yourself, what, what, um, how it started with him, the sort of size of the lump, how it progressed and how he got it checked out. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, you, you just, 
different people offer different things. You can go from serious to sad to hilarious. And I think that's that's the beauty of what these guests bring to our events, I think. Thank you, mate. That is the end of the show. So we hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for giving us your questions. Look after yourselves. And until next week, come on, on you irons. When you love riding a motorcycle, you want to ride it everywhere, even getting a dental checkup. Mr. Carter, wouldn't you prefer the chair? I'm fine on my bike, Doc. Well, let me know if you feel any discomfort. And when you love saving money, you want to save even more. That's why GEICO makes it easy to bundle your motorcycle and car insurance. All done, Mr. Carter. Remember to brush, floss, and lubricate your drive chain regularly. Kickstart your savings with GEICO Motorcycle. Bundle and save on the things you love. It's go time for our teachers, and Duncan is brewing up the perfect way to say thank you. On Thursday, September 1st, local educators will receive a free medium hot or iced coffee at participating Rockford Duncan restaurants. No purchase necessary. Limit one per guest. Excludes cold brew and nitro cold brew. Additional charges may apply. Participation may vary. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However... When it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.